0: You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole.
1: It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon.
0: in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham her true color. It's unfortunate. To me. Strong. For some clown who thinks he's Batman. I am Batman!
2: The Eternal Night, a podcast dedicated to the world's greatest detective, the Dark Knight of DC Universe, Batman. I am one of your hosts. My name is Philip Barker, alongside my heroic co-host, Craig Blaylock. How you doing, Craig? Good evening. Doing well. Doing well. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening to The Eternal Night. As we all know, this podcast is not affiliated with Warner Media or DC Entertainment. Those rights, Batman rights, they all belong to them, not us. But we have no issue talking about our dear beloved dark knight detective and it's been a while since our last episode we are here today to celebrate a couple birthdays we're going to talk a little batman the animated series probably talk a little bit more about the batman because that movie's going to hit hbo max here in about nine more days so yeah yeah i don't know craig how you been man how's how's your uh, batman consumption been over the last few weeks since our last recording uh the bvs retrospect with our good friend jared
3: uh, it's been good, actually. After we had that retrospective, I went back and I just started watching a couple of the animated movies that I hadn't seen in a while. I, of course, watched Under the Red Hood, which is still one of my favorites. It's a great one. Um, I stepped in. What else did I watch? I watched uh, Batman versus Robin, which was pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the other one? The Was it uh, Blood? Bad Blood? Batman bad blood that one was okay i think definitely one of the weaker ones out of the, the that whole animated dc run they were doing still enjoyable but nah nothing nearly as memorable as some of the other ones
2: yeah there's a little nifty batman trilogy there and son of batman batman vs. Robin, and then batman bad blood and batman also plays a oh, sorry plays a pretty huge part in that animated series overall like I know he's a prominent member in the the Justice League Dark movie. Um, Obviously, you know, he's obviously part of the Justice League throughout, like, you know, the Justice League War, Throne of Atlantis, and um, versus the Teen Titans, as well as Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. I mean, they also made Batman Hush, which is set in that universe, too, which I still find it funny that people rightfully so get mad at the ending of that movie as opposed to the ending of that book but I, I guess we could probably hold that conversation for a whole other day yeah but um yeah i i you know i was messaging you right before we started recording cuz we've been trying to do this for a couple weeks now but of course life finds a way um and we've also been seeing other movies like we saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2 that was mm-hmm. a fun movie love there's it. there's a little batman reference in there for for people yeah. who are fans <laughs> of that yeah but I was recently, literally right before we started recording, I, I was on Netflix. I was laying in bed, just kind of being lazy because I've been out skateboarding again. Mm-hmm. Honest to God, truth. I feel like Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight Rises. My legs are so messed up; I can barely move them <laughs> around now. It's like
3: you know, walk around with a cane and a uh, goatee.
2: Well, I feel like I might have to just get like a, a robotic brace on my legs so and get <laughs> back into skating again. It's like you know, you, you, I buy the board, but I'm not what I used to be. I'm, I'm. It's mm-hmm. been like 10 years since I've been on a skateboard, and and there's some stuff I can still do, and it, it ain't easy. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it, it, it ain't easy. And I've had my board land on my feet a couple times, and that's why my feet hurt. <laughs> but I feel like I kind of popped something in my hip, so that's kind of hard to move around, but I'll, I'll be all right. Um, But more to the point, you know, I was watching... The Dark Knight on Netflix because it's on Netflix. I don't know because Netflix and HBO Max like they have like you know their deals for movies and rights and all that jazz. But regardless, you know, I was watching The Dark Knight and it 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 amazes me to this day at how great that movie is for Mm -hmm. all the things that it did for the for like the relationship between Batman and the Joker, for what it did for Batman on like a big budget movie scale and just the performances, safer for one. Just, they don't. They age like fine wine.
3: Mm-hmm. Everyone played their roles excellently in the in that movie.
2: Even Maggie except besides Jill- besides, beside <laughs> she's fine. Like she's she's okay. She's fine. Just, she's not Katie Holmes, but she's fine. I do find it ironic that you know both Maggie Gyllenhaal and her husband uh, Peter Sarsgaard are now and have been in Batman movies in which their yeah. characters get blown to shit. <laughs> I still find that hysterical. Yeah. But um
3: and that was a gen and I remember too speaking of that point her death in that film that was pretty shocking at the time. Oh yeah. Uh, specifically in the way they shot it, you know, the whole the whole scene of like where is he going? Who is he going to save? And then he walks in and Harvey's getting mad at him, you know, why did you come for me? And then before she you can tell that like she's going to try to give some reassuring words and keep him and she she says like what two things and sometimes bam every everything blows up. <laughs> I don't even think she gets to finish her
2: sentence. Like she no, it's like, like
3: right in the middle. She's like Harvey, listen. Sometimes and then she blows up.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then like even you know they can't they cut to Gordon and his is and the GCPD like coming up to the building as it's mm-hmm. blowing up and he's trying to run towards it. And his cops are like, no, Gordon, stop, stop, yeah. stop right, and it's like yeah there ain't no coming back from that but I did watch it because of one birthday and as, as you all know the main topic of our, of our episode today will be Batman's 83rd birthday but there's another birthday that I do want to talk about and that is um, the late great Heath Ledger his birthday was April 4th and he would have been 43 this year but unfortunately he passed away January 22nd 2008 just six months before the movie came out And just, you know, this was one role that for me, when I had seen the first image of it, I think it was December of 2007 when the viral marketing really began for that movie. And what was shown was like, you know, the Why So Serious poster and you see the silhouette of the Joker and you only see like the outline of what he was going to look like.
3: Yeah, you see the hair, you see the black around the eyes, and you see the red of the lips, and that's about it.
2: Yep. And then I'll never forget when I saw the first trailer for that movie and just being absolutely blown away. I mean, not mm-hmm. not even talking about the teaser where they they had the Batman logo just kind of being engulfed in a bunch of blue and black flames, and they had a lot of voiceover dialogue from the movie no, I'm talking about the very first trailer, at least the first trailer that I remember. Um I was I was in maybe a sophomore in, in high school, and I had watched this trailer on just absolute repeat because you know you got a really great look at the Joker, you saw like him and in, Goth- in the G C P D cell, you saw a lot of Batman, you saw like the, the 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 big thing I remember from that trailer is Heath's Joker standing in the middle of you know, it's obviously Chicago, but it's Gotham City. Like, he's standing there, he's holding the gun, he's like, come on, hit me! Yeah, And, and like, you see the Batpod running towards him and just, yeah. That's what I distinctly remember about that trailer, but his performance in that movie just... You know, it's no secret, I think we've talked about it on this show before, I like Batman 89, but there are certain creative decisions in that movie that just do not sit well with me on, like, a a fundamental Batman perspective, and... Like the whole Joker killing Batman's parents never sat well with me at all. So the complete the complete 180 of having his version of the Joker, of having Heath Ledger's version of the Joker just be a straight up engine of chaos, having him just introduced as the Joker, like no need for an origin and having him be the literal antithesis of everything this version of Batman has built himself to be up to this point. Just blown away, like absolutely blown away. Like I watched the movie for him. And I know that's maybe sounds a little psychotic. I'm just a big fan of really great performances. And that one was for the books.
3: No, I think, I think a a majority of people would agree. I think majority of people watch that movie for Heath Ledger's Joker. It's, it's a role that will never be topped. I mean, there, I am very interested to see where Matt Reeves Joker goes in terms of, the character and how he's going to interact possibly in the future of this franchise. Right. Um, but I just—you'll never match up. N- nothing will ever surpass that performance.
2: And look, this is not in any way or shape or form a knock to Jack Nicholson because obviously those no. are some very big shoes to fill. Like, I was even on on around, I think on the fourth, like this pa- this past six days ago, like on his birthday, I was watching interviews of how he approached doing the Joker and how he didn't want to do what Jack did, but how he Mm. also really wanted to honor what him and Cesar Romero had done before. And, you know, everyone has their opinion on Jared Leto. My opinion on his version of the Joker has changed drastically since the Suicide Squad film came out seven years ago. Um, And even, you know, I have my own reserved opinions about the Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And even to to now like getting into barry keegan Ke- keegan i don't i don't honestly don't know how to pronounce his last name and i apologize <laughs> if i butcher it but you know the joker to me is always just one of those really fascinating villains that you can't ever top like he he's literally the crim of the crop when it comes to super villains and just dastardly pure chaotic evil
3: yeah you're talking about I mean, just think of all the things that he's done throughout the years. You know, he shot and paralyzed Barbara Gordon. <laughs> he, I mean, he he cut his own face off <laughs> and stapled it back on. This I mean, dude, he is the most unhinged character that I think we've ever seen in any form of media.
2: He beat a child to death with a crowbar, crowbar. and blew yeah. him up. <laughs> yeah, And, you, you know... Also, there's another story, I don't remember quite which one it comes from, but there is a story where he straight up shoots Barbara Gordon, the wife of Jim Gordon, in the head.
3: Oh, wow. I Didn't don't remember
2: what story it is, but that that's for sure a thing. Like, he shoots Jim Gordon's wife in the head, and that, wow. that really messes Gordon up. But, getting back to Ledger, like, there's a little bit of Tom Waits in his performance, but even still, like every facet of what he did with that character every everything he did with his version was just so completely the polar opposite excuse me of what jack did with 89 yeah 100 percent opposite (laughs) and it's funny because when i was younger i was i was heavily influenced by my cousin and uh you know he was not i think he was purposely like not a fan of those movies just to like be kind of a contrarian about it and some of Mm -hmm. that rubbed off on me for a little while but over time i've really grown to appreciate and really not idolize per se but really admire what nolan did with batman and his mythology i mean it's not necessarily my preference but i can still appreciate it for what it is much in the same way of like say superman 78 with christopher reeves and richard donner
3: yeah I mean, it it's one of those things where I look back on them, and I, I do enjoy those movies. I don't enjoy, like, every aspect of them. There's little things that I have, you know, issues with, um, and particularly, I think I mentioned it in an episode before, I just don't like the way Nolan shoots action scenes in those movies, particularly the fights. Mm-hmm. Um, car chase scenes are fine. I, I mean, that car chase scene in The Dark Knight is astounding. Probably one of the best... Uh, vehicle chase scenes I've ever seen in a film. But when it came to like the hand-to-hand combat stuff, I just, I don't like the way he films that. And for me, that's one of the things that I love to see. I love to see Batman beat people up. And so when, you know, the camera's too close and it's all cluttered and I can barely kind of see what's going on. It got a little bit better in The Dark Knight Rises, but still just, I don't know, the whole fighting style just never really gelled with me. But in terms of the storyline and the character development and the world building that they did in that, it's very, very impressive, even looking back on it now.
2: So I think when it comes to the action sequences, specifically the hand-to-hand combat stuff in Nolan's trilogy, I do think that in the first film it Begins, where you first see Batman at the docks, I think the quick cut edits and the fact that you can't see him actually works in his favor. That does work, yes. But to your point, a lot of his action specifically again, that the hand-to-hand combat stuff, like even the opening sequence of The Dark Knight where he where he takes out, you know, the Russian the and goons and like, you know, Scarecrow and things like that, like it it's it's rough. But it does end on a really high note when he drops down on Scarecrow's van. Yeah, I will give it that. But yeah, it, it really is kind of a cluster, more or less, when you see Nolan's action, specifically again the hand-to-hand combat. And it's funny because I was actually listening to a podcast not too long ago, in the, and the end, you know, it, I've heard the sentiment before that, you know, oh well, the Batmobile. If you if you pay close enough attention you know it, if, at first it's it's upside down but then it cuts to the next scene and then it's right side up and then you know the bat pot ejects well I literally just watched the movie not even three hours ago the editing's a little again it's a little clustered but at no point does you does it actually show the Batmobile flip turned upside down it turns quite a few times but it actually does land right side up to mm. where batman can eject the bat pod so it, it's funny to me that people always like to make this claim of oh it was upside down it's just really lazy editing and it's like pay attention when you watch the movie <laughs> get off your phone to go cry to your friend about poor editing in this so you have something to cry about but you know, yeah it, it's whatever I, f- I just find it really funny
3: yeah it really is again to go back to you know ledger's joker it really is a shame you know, when he did pass, because just thinking, I mean, for one, it's a human life. You never want to see somebody pass away, but oh, heartily, in, yeah. in terms of what they had built with that film and if you just sit there and you, you sit there and you wonder what if, what if he was still alive and was his Joker going to be in that third film and what role was he going to play and how would the dark Knight rises have been different had joker still been in it
2: it's really unfortunate because i remember that happening he literally died three days after my birthday that year Oof. my birthday is january 19th he died on the 22nd and it's it's something i'll never forget i woke up that morning and i couldn't believe the headlines like he he's ledger passed and i was like mm-hmm. what he no like he's he's got a movie coming out like yeah this can't be real and left behind a wife and daughter if i remember right correct his daughter matilda Mm. and i yeah i mean you know he's also got a really big resume on top of that you know 10 things i hate about you knight's tale Mm broke back Mountain. like the, the the thing is is you know people people always had a cow every time there's a new batman cast People had a cow when he was cast because some people would even be like, oh, he's too pretty to be the Joker. Oh, yeah. No, I remember that. That
3: was, you know, this was pre-Facebook, pre-social media. Mm -hmm. But, man, you go to the comment section of any website that had the Batman trailers on it because this is also Mm pre-YouTube. So, you know, I remember I would go to – what was the site? Comingsoon.net. I would Mm -hmm. go there. Mm -hmm. That's where I would go to watch my trailers. And, man, the amount of comments underneath every Dark Knight trailer. Oh, this is going to be the worst Batman of all time because they got this pretty boy who's going to play the Joker. This is going to be the worst Batman movie ever. So it, it's hilarious looking back on it now and s- thinking of those comments and all the people who just, they, they thought that movie was going to be dead on arrival with the the casting.
2: It's, it's baffling to think about because, I mean, people still take that kind of, over exaggerated take oh yeah towards some of these movies I, the mean, Batman? I mean bats? i mean hell right now people people are are having a cow because christian Bale, he's playing gore the god butcher in thor love and thunder if you look at some of the the toys and promo art released for the movie cuz there hasn't even been a trailer for it the movie comes out in july apparently but he looks not a damn thing like Gore the God Butcher from the comics. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not. I'm well past it. It needs to be like it needs to be comic accurate. I am well past that phase of my yep. superhero film enjoyment life. Like I, I'm just over that. I'm over. Oh, if you're gonna do the storyline, it needs to be beat for beat. Like, no, no, it doesn't. Let whoever's in the director's chair, if they want to put pick and pull from whatever they want, let them do it. Mm-hmm. As long as it makes sense and it's a good story, I'm fine with it. But that said, getting back to Heath, you know, it's it, you're right. Like I remember going to ComingSoon.net, SuperHeroHype.com, a couple different websites, and even just pulling up the, the trailer on YouTube. Because Warner, you know, regardless, it's funny how much Warner has changed in the years. But they had, you know, they they promoted their their stuff through their Warner page on YouTube, and like that trailer, trailer had quite a fair amount of views on it. Oh yeah, it did. But what he did with that role like it, it inspired I, I want to say Lee Bermejo modeled his version of Joker after Heath Ledger's because I don't remember when Bermejo got into really drawing comics I'm going to check that right now because he's honestly one of the most prominent Batman artists that's been around for as long as I can remember but yeah his Joker graphic novel came out in 2008 Oh yeah. Yep. October 2008. So I don't know how long he'd been working on it but if you look at that version of the Joker and you look at Heath Ledger it's a damn near side by side perfect parallel. Yep. Yeah. Brian Azzarello wrote the book but Bermejo did the art and my god that pfft, I'll never forget reading that book. That book was a big all mind f you in in (laughs) every sense of the word because you're you're basically following his joker one of one of joker's henchmen johnny frost and like you see the joker just go through he gets out of arkham you see him go through all of gotham to just deal with certain villains and like it, it it's just an absolute wacko story for, all, for, for lack of a better phrase there, but yeah, like if, if you look at Mayo's Joker and then look at Heath Ledger's version of the Joker, they are almost nearly one in the same.
3: Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, too. That, yeah, <laughs> there's definite inspiration there.
2: 100%. Oh, 100%. I can absolutely see it. And even, you know, there is there is a little bit of inspiration there for, for Barry's Joker from the Batman a little bit as well, especially mm-hmm. with the with the grin and the eyes. And the kind of the,
3: the the how the paint is kind of there, but it's kind of caked on and there's cracks
2: all over it. Yeah. Yeah. But what Heath did with that role, man, like it's it's one of the most unforgettable roles I've ever witnessed. And honestly, to this day, it's still arguably probably my favorite version of the joker yeah because like there's just so many sequences in which you know his line delivery the way he walks the way he prounces the way he dances the way he just it's 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 scary in like a real way i don't i don't know if that's that's the best way to say it but like you know the the magic trick with the pencil the blowing up of the hospital the literally like even when he's just standing there in gcpd after he blows it up by sticking a bomb inside a person's body yeah yeah like, i don't know what other way to describe his version of joker other than iconic
3: the scene that's still to this day it's still one of my absolute favorite joker scenes of anything i've ever seen was in The Dark Knight. Um, it still gives me goosebumps every time I watch it, is the scene where he um, he wants to call out Batman and everyone, and he has, um, I think it's one of Scarecrow's guys, isn't it? The the Or no, I think it's like a critic cop. It's been a while since I've watched The Dark Knight all the way through. But it's a video, he's, he's video recording this guy. The guy's tied up in a chair, and you can tell he's been beating him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Joker's like, uh, you know, tell, talking about how he's going to bring chaos and everything. But there's this one key moment where he he's talking to the guys like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And the way he says it, dude, I remember I got chills in the movie theater when I saw that at the premiere night.
2: So he's it's it's right before it's right after that same body because it's one of the Batman imposters.
3: Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It's it was one, one of the Batman guys posters. who wanted who wanted to like ins- he was inspired by
2: Batman. Right. And he and Joker goes, "Are you the real Batman?" "No. Yeah. Then why do you dress up like him?" And <laughs> yeah. then he goes, "Look at me. Look at me." And it's like, "Whoa." Yeah. And I don't think any of them to it, again, no knock to any other performance, but there is not a moment like that in Batman 89. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jared Leto Jared Leto kind of came close with the whole little little talk there that he had with um with Harley with, with Common and Harley right it, yeah. it's it's close but it's not quite there and then it, even even Keegan's Joker like the, their whole little interaction between him and Batman it's it's unsettling but I I don't think that it, anything like that comes out on top uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know that sequence where he's literally just He's making a threat to Gotham City. He's telling yeah. Batman, like, if you do not reveal yourself, I'm going to start killing people starting tonight. I'm yep. a man of my word. And then he just lets out, like, yep. one of the most visceral laughs. ever. Yes.
3: Yeah, and the way he turns the camera and he just goes, and until you do, people will die. And then, yeah, and like you said, the way he said, I'm a man of my word. And just the inflections. I think that's one of the key things with Ledger's Joker. He knew when to inflect on certain pieces of dialogue Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: that made him come across as a... What's the best way to say it? Threatening while also acting like he's just having fun. Because this is a Joker who just relishes every moment that he knows that he's causing chaos and he's causing pain on people
2: when he's giving Gamble the the one origin of how he got his scars, but then yeah. he gives his other origin to Rachel about how he got his scars. Yeah. The playfulness you see in in when he comes out of the elevator with Wurtz, the crooked cop, nonetheless, yeah. that should have been a dead giveaway right there. But of course, yeah. you know, like it's, it's funny, the, the things you pick up on in that movie after watching it the first time, It, it and you know what I also picked up on What's when that? he blows up the hospital On his nurse's outfit, he's even wearing a Dent sticker. Oh, is he? (laughs) He is. Look very closely on the left side of his chest. He's wearing a, a, I believe, a Harvey Dent sticker. So It says Dent right there, like, on his sticker. So, it might have been a visitor sticker. I don't know. But I, I noticed that this time around. I was like, that's funny. But, yeah, like, when he delivers his lines or when he when he's telling rachel or gamble about his origin like to your point he's having fun with it because he's like he's like a a a predator stalking his prey like when he walks in the wayne foundation thing for for dent you know he's looking around he's like asking but where is harvey dent and where is he and you know he goes up to the old dude and goes you remind me of my father (laughs) i hated my father but then he sees rachel and he's like oh i know you like and he proceeds to have fun with it but Mm -hmm. then you get that 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 first clash between him and batman yep yeah i don't i don't think that's that's one i will ever forget and and <laughs> By some miracle, if I ever get the chance to play that character, I'd happily look at his for inspiration. Most oh, my one hundred percent, yeah.
3: And he and his subtle humor too. Another one of my favorite scenes with him was uh, when he meets with uh, all the mafia guys and all <gasps> the you know, underworld <clears throat> guys, and he you know he pulls out, he shows them that he's got all the grenades and stuff attached to him, and Gamble goes, "You think you just walk in here and steal from us?" yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the way he says that it cracks you up so bad even though it's such a tense scene
2: or like even when he's dangling the line from the mm-hmm. from the grenades he goes now nah, let's not blow this <laughs> yeah. out of proportion it's like oh he's really not screwed around
3: I know the squealers and and he just points at the TV mm-hmm. and the guy gets so scared he he disconnects he
2: himself it off. yeah <laughs> or like at, 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 towards the end of the movie when he's got when he's got um i don't remember the cop's name but he he, he a lot of people kind of refer to him as as like the bullock but it's not bullock. oh yeah yeah, yeah. he's basically holding the shard up to dudes to dudes throat and and yeah. he goes i just want my phone call <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like uh what is he gonna do with that phone call and then you see yeah. what happens after the phone call and again when the explosion happens, and every other cop in in the Major Crimes Unit is just, they're they're they you know they they obviously like take cover and you know they're all blown they're all like you know scattered. He's just standing over everything, looking mm-hmm. around at all the destruction. He's just like, "Yeah, I did this." Oh,
3: well, and it's- even the scene the scene before it when they're in the holding cell, and the guy tells him he's like, "You killed seven of my friends," and he looks at him. Seven. It's, and, it, yeah, and then he yep. proceeds to tell him, he's like, you know, to be honest, I I know some of them more personally than you do. And then he turns to the camera, and deadpan, "Would you like to know which one of them were cowards?" He says something to the like, like,
2: of, "Like, you know, people really show their true colors in their final moments." And I would yep. say that I knew your, some of your friends better than you did. And then yep. you, you know, it deadpans to him, and he goes, "Do you want to know which which of them were cowards?" It's like. Uh, yeah. Uh, hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. That's one role I will never forget. It, and that it, and truth be like, yeah, I turn on Batman Begins and it's a great time. Yeah, I can watch The Dark Knight Rises and it's it's fine. I have fun watching Bane and, you know, Tom Hardy do his thing.
3: Or your body. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I watch the Dark Knight and it, it I hardly look at my phone. I'm watching it most yeah. of the time and there's never a dull moment in that movie and, and he makes that movie what it is yeah and even like one of my favorite scenes is like him because he he when he's talking to dent in the hospital and Dent's like trying to just he wants to <laughs> murder yeah. the joker because of everything that just happened right yeah. and and he goes i'm like a dog chasing cars i don't know what i do with a cop one yeah right the scene before that is him leaning out of a cop car and he's literally yeah licking the air like a dog and it's yeah. like oh man yep. Mm. rest in peace heath ledger because yep. damn you were
3: probably the best joker ever and still one of the key and that's and again just so many quotable moments that that very scene where he's in there talking to harvey and he just tells him the thing about chaos it's fair
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mhm. <laughs> and then Harvey like pulls the coin out. Yep. You live. Mhm. Flips it over. You die. Now we're talking. Oh. <laughs> I think that was probably the closest you were ever gonna get to like a villain team. Oh well, no. Because Scarecrow and Rachel will kind of te- they weren't they never met personally, but they mm-hmm. were kind of in cahoots with one another. And then Talia and Bane. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: I guess I guess you could say Nolan had a pretty realistic approach to, like, supervillain team-ups, and I'm using quotes there loosely. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, rest, rest in peace, Heath Ledger, because that role, man. It'll never be topped. I don't think it ever will be, no. I, I, I really feel for Barry Keegan, because he's...
3: Whew, good luck, I have I have no doubt he's going to do good in the role, but just... I mean, Ledger's just on a whole other level. You're just never going to be able to touch it. No, I, I don't think so.
2: Well, he would have been 43 as of the fourth, and you know, um, from what I understand, the he did The Dark Knight, but then he also did um, one other film, and then he wanted, from what I understand, he wanted to pursue a direct a directing career. That would have been interesting. Well, also, I don't know if you know, but the 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 scene in which you know he slaps Brian around and says, look at me. Like he, he did that. Like he, he all the, all of the yes, videos. Yes, I do
3: remember that. Yeah. I remember reading about that.
2: Yeah. All of the videos that he did for that movie, Heath Ledger did by himself. Nolan had no oversight. He yeah. let Heath Ledger do his thing with those He's... movies. Oh, so his and... final, his final film was the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. That was the last yes, one he ever did.
3: I remember that. I remember I specifically went to go see that movie in the theater because it was his last movie.
2: And even fellow actors and friends play up transformations of his character, and they include Colin Farrell, Jude Law, and, of course, Johnny Depp.
3: Yeah, because he was supposed to be the main character, but then he passed, so they made, like, an alteration in the story that he would just, like, change appearances throughout the film. Correct. Yep. I'm going to have to watch I haven't seen that movie in a really long time.
2: I never watched it, and I feel like I
3: should. Nothing, nothing absolutely from what I remember. I mean, again, this has been what 10 plus years since I've seen it. It wasn't like astounding, but it's still
2: an enjoyable time. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to find it somehow, some way. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I will, maybe, but we'll see. It's got to be on one of the streaming services. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm not in any eager to look at the moment. Excuse me, but there was another birthday that happened on March 30th, and that was Batman's 83rd birthday.
3: Batman kid, he's been collecting social security for a little bit,
2: but he's still out in Gotham beating the shit out of people. He's still out there. <laughs> so, what? Well, hmm? 83rd birthday? That would put him at right around Batman Beyond age. Early oh, 80s, something yeah. like that, give or take. Yeah, but yeah, um, March 30th was the First appearance of Batman, Detective Comics, number 27, with, ironically enough, the publication, it had a, um, a miss publication date, it, it, like, on the cover it says May, but it debuted in March, <laughs> 1939. <laughs> Created by, and I use that term loosely, by Bob Kane, but with Bill Finger. Yep. Bill Finger, arguably, is, is largely a lot of the reason you see in what, and what we know to be true and faithful to who Batman is now is largely because of Bill Finger. Hell his, he was the one who, who cited and created the, the, the term, the dark Knight, like that. That's from a Bill Finger story, but in light of Batman turning 83, Craig and I have decided to share some of our favorite aspects of this character, you know, favorite stories, for instance, um, I don't know, Craig, what, what are some of your favorite stories of, of Batman that come to mind?
3: I mean, for me, in terms of just absolute favorites, I know it's an easy go-to, but I mean, the dark Knight returns, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, I just can't get over how good that story is. And it's crazy to think that, that this story is one year younger than freaking me. Yeah. <laughs> The Dark Knight Returns came out in 1986, and the fact that it has such staying power to this day just really stands to a testament of what an incredible story Frank Miller did with that, those characters, that world. I adore The Dark Knight Returns. I was so excited when they announced the animated movies. Um, I thought the animated movies are fantastic. That is just a Batman story that I don't think will ever be topped.
2: I don't think I could disagree. I mean, it's it's up there with some of my favorites for sure. Um, much like you, when the animated movies got announced, I was overjoyed. Yeah. Just absolutely beside myself. It's got a really great voice cast, and I feel like it adapted that book very well. But even going back and reading it, mm-hmm. I can understand why in 1986 that book did for Batman the wonders that it did because it really it grew him up from this you know very campy pulpy detective figure who made kind of quippy jokes after every battle you know it it, it aged him up like he was uh-huh. now in, in, at a point where things around him have changed like Robin's no longer there obviously like Alfred's well over you know being able to be a butler and he still is Yeah, Alfred's pretty much knocking at death's door. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then by the end of that book, he unfortunately does pass. But, you know, that that book really, like, it grew Batman up. And and I I remember reading about Frank Miller's approach to it. He was like, look, like, I'm going to be older than Batman by the time I get to writing this book. And, (laughs) like, I I can't have that. Like, I'm going to make Batman older. I'm going to make him more jaded. I'm going to make him just kind of pissed off at the way things are.
3: Yep. And in a way, too, I know that a lot of people say that Batman 89 was the turning point for Batman and to for making Batman, you know, a dark antihero. And I get that from a public perspective for those who don't read comics, but I truly believe that The Dark Knight Returns, that was the turning point, like you said. The Dark Knight Returns was the point where Batman became the dark anti-hero that he is going forward from that point. And I I credit Frank Miller for doing that because there was no story like that around that time.
2: No, um, I would also say that Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill had a hand in also kind of breaking Batman back to his darker detective roots. I will give them that. Uh, you know, they famously also created Rachel al Ghoul, and you know, follows with that like the son of the demon stuff, and and, but really, like it it kind of does kind of come down to Frank Miller and what he did with the Dark Knight Returns. Like he he made Batman just this big hulking creature, mm-hmm. you know, like a fifty six year old man in a giant bat suit, and he like he's throwing goons into like electric signs, he's lobbing batarangs and like not even caring if he hits him in like you know the face or the arm or whatever like he doesn't give a shit are you out of your mind (laughs) and that fight with the joker in in the tunnel of love I mean I have nothing bad to say about that book Uh, it's probably one of my favorites one of my my personal favorites though is uh, Death in the Family that's a good one yep mostly because of Jim Aparo I'm a really big yep. fan of Jim Aparo's art, but you know that's that's really one of the bigger stories for me because that that shows that Batman is not a perfect person. Like he can make mistakes, and he also failed as a mentor to Jason Todd because, and even 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 though he failed him as a mentor, it's not entirely on him because Jason was not like Dick Grayson in any way, shape, or form. No, and I feel like that that whole situation that happened with Jason, you know, trying to be a detective, trying to figure out who his mother was, the the right intentions were there, but Bruce was also right to try and like bench him because mm-hmm. at that point he was turning into just, you know, he wasn't listening to orders. He wasn't, you know, pursuing things in the way that, that, you know, Batman had Dick pursue things. And like, it was really like a learning lesson for Batman in that, you know, not every sidekick that you're going to bring into this is going to be like Dick Grayson, but it's also transformative in that this is a, a father who lost his adopted son and it's primarily his fault. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Joker even makes a snide comment in the book about paralyzing Barbara Gordon. Yep. And like he, the Joker doesn't give a shit. Like, nope. it, it, the, the book's also a little nuts, too, because it's also a little dated. He becomes the ambassador of Iran after all things are said and done. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, an, it's an insane book, yeah. but I still love the shit out of it. But primarily because, it, again, it, it shows that Batman is not a perfect person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you and I have, have joked about this, but everyone likes to have their pristine, perfect, perfect, like Batman, uh, yeah. who's, a, who's a detective, and he doesn't kill people, and he doesn't get, like angry and it's like no bullshit he's a human exactly he's flawed and the
3: problem and to further that too you know he's human he makes mistakes problem is when you're batman and you make mistakes people die Mm -hmm. there's grave consequences for mistakes that batman makes and this story was the one that finally showed us how bad things can get if he does not match his expectations
2: now granted you know again jason todd went after the joker of his own Mm -hmm. fruition right like a lot of that was on him but the fact of the matter that that batman brought him into this and brought him into that world and decided to make him the next robin without really realizing what kind of person that jason todd you know hey not every one of your kids and i can't speak because i'm not a parent but every one of batman's kids Adoptive or not, otherwise, they've all been very different personality-wise. Yep. And Hell, look
3: at Damien. <laughs>
2: <sighs> yeah, there's a Robin for you. Yeah. But you, funny enough, now that you mention it, wh- another one of my favorite Batman stories is Batman and Robin Reborn. And that story has Dick Grayson in the Batman cow and Damien Wayne in the Robin mantle. Mm. And I have the entirety of that run in trade form from issue number one and matter of fact i even own issue number one couldn't think of it i got that before i quit working at the comic book store cha-ching anyway (laughs) uh batman and robin reborn like you you get a complete reverse of the dynamic where batman's the dark brooding one and robin's the the cheerful light one No, no 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 dick grayson is the more hopeful optimistic batman (laughs) robin is the dark little badass who inflicts (laughs) all the pain and it is awesome
3: I've got to get around to reading that one.
2: I mean, if I had any recommendations for you, this is just me, because I know there's some people out there who aren't too big on Grant Morrison, but Grant Morrison writing Batman is just nothing short of awesome. Uh, RIP, Black Glove, Battle for the Cow also fits into that, but it's it's by Tony S. Daniel. Mm. But yeah, there's a whole little arc there between RIP, I I think it's Black Glove, then RIP, and then Batman and Robin Reborn. Wait, hold on, hold on. So it goes, I want to say Black Glove, R.I.P., Battle for the Cowl, Long Shadows, and then Batman and Robin Reborn. Okay. And also Black Mirror by uh, Scott Snyder. That's another Dick Grayson in the Batman Cowl book. It's a really great one with Jock doing art. Love that. Um, I also will say that more often than not... Um, I used to own Batman Public Enemies and I still think I do on iTunes, but that led me to finding Superman Batman Apocalypse and that is hands down one of my favorites. Is that the
3: one that they adapted into the animated movie? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Batman, Superman Batman Apocalypse is um, Supergirl lands in Gotham City and Batman brings her to Cal and they kind of have to figure out together like what is the best course of action here because you know clark's been on earth for how many years or whatever and Kara's just now coming arriving. to terms with right like she's now coming to terms with like you know krypton's no longer there cows are only you know living relative and you know dark side gets involved you see some of the furies you see big barda wonder woman gets involved too they fight an army of doomsdays i just love that movie so much <laughs> It is a trip to see Batman with a battle axe just decapitating Doomsdays. <laughs> it is pretty awesome, all things considered. And then there's also like the big own at the end of the movie where Batman owns Darkseid, and like <laughs> yeah, one of one of your legendary moments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. where he calls Darkseid's bluff: Omega Omega, 7, Omega Lambda Seven XL Nine. Does that sound like a bluff to you? <laughs> and again, Kevin Conroy voicing Batman. That's that's never yep. not a win. And speaking
3: of that, uh, with Kevin Conroy, this leads me to one of my other favorite Batman stories, um, the animated series episode, Heart of Ice. Ah. There, you, you talk about a story, a 20-minute cartoon episode that redefined a character, because if you think about it, prior to Heart of Ice, Mr. Freeze wasn't exactly, he wasn't a key rogue I think, in Batman's rogues gallery, he was kind of a a kind of a like a cohort. He would always be like a teammate with the Joker or he would team up with a villain. He was never a central threat and he was never really taking seriously. And then this episode comes out and redefines everything about mr freeze and instantly makes him one of the most important villains in batman's history i think
2: yeah i don't think i can disagree with any of that because to your point i think he was in an episode of 66 but he might have been called i think he was mr freeze but he was originally called mr zero yes
3: yeah i was actually when i was doing research on where did i put that in my notes yeah he was a According to an article that I read, he started life as a pretty bland ice villain known as Mr. Zero uh, back in 1959. Right. So to go from that, and again, he, everybody kind of knew who Mr. Freeze was, but everybody just knew, oh, he's the ice guy. And now you look at him and look at all these like different interpretations we've seen of Freeze. I mean, look at the Arkham games and... Just everything about that character completely changed when that animated episode came out, and I still stand by it that it is probably, if not, the absolute best Batman animated series episode.
2: I, again, I can't disagree, because to your point, you know, you've got a character like Mr. Freeze, and that really, it humanized the character in a way that had not been done before, because when you add the, the, the component of him doing what he did to save his wife that completely alters the trajectory of what that character's intentions become because then it just goes from being just typical bank robbing supervillain to Mm -hmm. no i have a motive and this motive means something to me personally and that motive is trying to save my wife from death
3: and credit to them the fact that they did this with a character it's like how do you take a character seriously the a guy that walks around in a ice suit that shoots a an ice gun right how do you humanize that how do you make people pay attention take that character seriously you do exactly what they did in
2: the animated series not only that like it made him colder mm-hmm. I, I, no pun intended but shit like you know he, he went from literally just being a walking ice pun to to literally having like a sense of lost humanity there because when you when you add the again you when you add the aspect of of his wife and trying to save his wife and like that that's literally his focus everything around him becomes obsolete yeah. and everything
3: and everyone is expendable mm-hmm. as long as he gets his wife back
2: and again like what makes a lot of batman's villains so great is that they are reflections of him in some way, shape, or form. You know, Batman's whole mission in being the detective and being the vigilante crime fighter has stemmed from the death of his parents. Mr. Freeze's whole whole ambition, his whole purpose of what he does is to save his wife. You know, he lost someone he cared about to this disease. And now he's doing everything he can to make sure that it does not take her from this world. Yep. And then
3: his delivery too. I remember I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of like, Yes, it would be tragic if I had tears to shed. And it's just like that cold, very robotic voice with those kind of quotes. It's just you you can't you can't top it.
2: And again, I think that's why he would be an excellent villain for us follow-up in the Batman universe. Because, yep. <laughs> you know, we just saw Batman go through this whole ordeal of going from being a, 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 a figure of vengeance to a purpose of, or like, an inspiration of hope. And when you bring in a character, like Mr. Freeze, for example, and you, like, you, you go through with a similar kind of story in regards to, like, him trying to save his wife and everything else doesn't matter at that point like there's a point there where you can really touch on the humanity from Batman's perspective and Mr. Freeze's perspective and have them come into conflict and I feel like it's possible and I'm hoping it does happen
3: yep I think it like we've talked about before I think if any director can do Mr. Freeze right in a live action interpretation of Batman Matt Reeves is the one to do
2: it oh I don't disagree at all I I think honestly i think matt reeves has a potential to bring characters like the court of owls mm-hmm. mr freeze i would even say poison ivy i think he could bring them all to live action in some form or another yep and it's funny you know you, yours is you have an episode of heart of ice mine i think i would say is probably eternal youth which that's a good one yep. which we will get to we're um, getting
3: close to it i think are. but we next are. episode after this one
2: uh let me
3: Either the sch- next one or the one after that. It's pretty
2: close. I'm gonna double check because we will talk about Clock King later. But yeah, Eternal Youth is one of my favorite episodes from the animated series. And largely because it's 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 an Alfred story, kinda. Um it's a poison ivy story. So we have the last laugh, then eternal youth. We have one more Joker episode okay. and then we get to Eternal Youth, but um My favorite thing about that is it's a Poison Ivy story. Alfred and an old friend of his go off to this spa to, like, you know, rejuvenate themselves. And it turns out to just be this, you know, big facility for Poison Ivy to hatch an evil scheme. And she turns—basically turns people into trees. Yeah. and it's (laughs) Some really haunting imagery in that episode. Oh, yeah. And it's one that really made me just kind of quiver a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. because just the the very idea of, of like, being— it's, it's almost like a modern spin on Medusa turning people into stone.
3: yeah, it really is
2: and I could see a version of poison Ivy doing something like this in a very real setting like maybe turning people into trees or like you know altering some DNA to like have them bloom flowers or moss or something. I yeah, don't inf- infect them with something of, in a way right. I feel like there, there are very real avenues you can do with characters like Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy.
3: Yeah. Because again, and Eternal Youth, again, that's what I liked about the animated series version of Poison Ivy is she wasn't what she kind of is now. She's not like this half-human, half-plant-create hybrid. It is She is just a woman, but she has the scientific knowledge to use the plants at her disposal. So she's not like summoning plants out of the ground or anything like that but she's using her intelligence to her benefit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm it's tough because the characters evolved a lot over the years and now yeah. the standard is kind of to have her be this, you know, metahuman plant controlling lady who who's not necessarily an eco-terrorist but much more like, you know, anti-hero- mm-hmm. and I'm fine with it but I do like poison Ivy you know I like Catwoman as an anti-hero more so than maybe a villain or even a burglar but that's you know just kind of the trajectory that that character has taken whereas poison Ivy I still feel like she makes a much better villain than she does anti-hero she does
3: yep yeah, I agree
2: speaking of which um <laughs> did you see that that the Harley Quinn shows season three is gonna debut this summer?
3: Oh, it is? I didn't know that. From what no, I understand. Honestly, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I love from, that show.
2: From what I understand, one of the EPs came out and said that, you know, he he hinted at the, at the fact that he knows the release date, but he can't say what it is, but he did say that uh. it rhymes with Shummer, and it's like, okay, so your, your, <laughs> th- your third season's going to arrive this summer. Got it.
3: That's awesome. I'm looking forward to
2: that. And that's honestly one of my favorite versions of Poison Ivy too, because I Me, love, like, voice. Yeah. And just, you know, that whole relationship with her and Harley in that show is just spot-on perfect.
3: Yep. That that got me excited. Yeah, I love that show. I do too. I really do. And another thing of Eternal Youth that I've always, that has bugged me forever, I want the recipes of those damn cookies that they eat. (laughs) Those mint, whatever they are, things that they're eating. (laughs) I remember as a kid watching that, I was like, those look so good. And to this, I remember watching that episode uh, not too long ago, and I'm like, ah, I want those.
2: Give me the recipe. I'm kind of sad they didn't make an appearance in Batman and Robin. They should (laughs) have. You know what's funny about Batman and Robin? Mm. The best villain in that movie is Poison Ivy. I know. Like, I've maintained that since I was a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, and as I sit here talking to you now, as a grown man who just passed 30. (laughs) I adore Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, and I know that's not a very high bar, but... When it comes to those movies, Mm -hmm. she's pretty perfect for, like, 90s Poison Ivy. She's very Mm -hmm. attractive. She's got all the kind of mystical powers, and it comes from a realistic lab accident, and she's got a couple different looks to her. It's just, Mm -hmm. if I have anything to like in that movie, it's definitely her.
3: Yep. Probably one of the only bright spots in that entire film.
2: Yeah, because the whole thing with Batgirl just never sits well with me at all. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> you know what's funny? Have you ever have you ever seen the um the graphic novelization version of Batman and Robin?
3: I didn't even know there was one. Okay, so
2: <laughs> if if you, ever, I'll, I'll shoot you a message, but I have a graphic novel that's the the Batman movies in graphic novel form, right? So the mm. first the first book is. 89 the second book is forever or wow the second book's returns the third book's forever when it gets to batman and robin i shit you not this is also kind of one of my favorite stories this whole book not just this one in particular when it gets to batman and robin they literally write the comic as if it's schumacher making the movie oh lord it is fantastic (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic! Oh boy! Be- because the first, the first couple panels, you see Schumacher, you see the set, and he goes three, two, one, action! It's so... Oh, oh my, my gosh! It's so funny, Craig. <laughs> that sounds like a trip. And even the Batmobile looks better than it did in the movie. That's not saying much. No, no, it's not. That's not a pretty awful, awful that. Batmobile. That Batmobile is terrible. <laughs>
3: Like neon, I've, glowing blue wheels, get out of here.
2: I've seen some really bad Batmobiles in my day. Comics, animation, mm-hmm. you name it. That one, inarguably, is, is like one of the worst. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll take the Tumblr over that thing, for God's sake.
1: <laughs>
2: it's like, again, you know, the Tumblr ain't my preference, but at least it's got some baddie aspects to it. That one was just... Why would you go from, from from a two-seater to a one-seater? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yep. Or even like, even the bat suit in that movie. My God.
1: That, that, mm,
3: mm, <laughs> that, we're, getting, we're getting PTSD from our commentary.
2: <sighs> I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I'm never watching that movie with alcohol again. I, I, I just, nope. It didn't help. It just didn't help. It made, it made it worse. <laughs> Somehow it did make it worse. You're right. Okay. Well, moving right along. Since we kind of brought up actors and, and looks and whatnot, I guess we can get to our next portion. That would be favorite actors in the suit. Yes, I said actors is in plural because there's more than one good version of Batman in a suit. Yep. Why don't you go uh-huh. ahead and go first, Greg?
3: I mean, obviously kind of my go to answer would be Affleck, but I'm gonna go a different route. And I'm gonna say um Pattinson, okay,
1: uh, okay.
3: He he very much impressed me with the Batman. I know it's kind of the thing, the cliche thing to say right now because the movie is still so new, and you know, reviews have been overly positive and people are really enjoying the film. But um, I was genuinely impressed with Pattinson's interpretation. I really liked this kind of this change to Bruce Wayne. I think that's the thing that really. I enjoyed the most out of it. Not so much his Batman, which is still really good, but I liked this change in Bruce Wayne that they did where he is not a, you know, playboy billionaire. He is a recluse. He's not going, what, the one time he went out in public was for the funeral, and he Mm -hmm. didn't even do that for his persona. He did that because he, he had a feeling that the Riddler would be there. And... It shows you like the way that people even freaked out when he gets out of his car, and people were like, is that, "Is that is that Bruce Wayne?" Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoyed this, them starting his story this way. I thought that was a great way to introduce this version of the character. That he's just he's so obsessed with his Batman persona, he doesn't care about his public Bruce Wayne persona. And it makes me even more and more excited for the sequel because by the end of this one, we have seen his perspective change. He knows now that the Batman has to be a symbol of hope for Gotham instead of a symbol of fear. So how is that going to change his perspective on his responsibilities as Bruce Wayne in the second film? So I'm, I'm very, very interested to see where this character goes in the sequel.
2: I think to add to that, one thing I really, really appreciated about Pattinson that I don't think any actor has done before, but that's also because of the way that their versions had been written. But the way Pattinson's eyes yes. had a giant impact on his performance in this yep. movie, like... The way you saw him emote with his eyes mm-hmm. was very reminiscent of when Batman would scowl in the animated series or when his eyes yeah, would white, When his eyes were thin in mm-hmm. the animated series.
3: That's when you knew like, ooh, Batman's
2: getting mad. <laughs> like one thing that comes to mind immediately is towards the end of the bat of the Batman where he's confronting the Riddler and the Riddler yep. like Bruce has Wayne. his fun with him. He's like Bruce Wayne. Yeah, his and eyes say everything. Mm-hmm. His yep. eyes look to the camera. They look back at him. And then when finally Riddler goes, he was the only one we didn't get. Bruce yep. steps out of the shadows yep. and has a full-on confrontation with the Riddler. And like again, yep. like everything is there in his eyes. At uh, that same
3: scene when he, you've seen it in the trailers. If you haven't seen the movie yet. But when he punches the glass, what have you done? Mm-hmm. And his the way his eyes, that is a man filled with rage and is just ready to burst through that glass and beat that man to a pulp to get the answers that he needs.
2: Or even just like the kind of the final moments of the movie where the, the person's getting airlifted out and he, the, it, yep. it pans up from him. You see Batman looking up. You see, you see his eyes clear as day. Yep. And you see there's kind of a, a glint change there in the way he's looking at things.
3: Yep, I'm not going to be shy about it. I shed a tear during that scene. That was one of the most beautifully shot scenes in any movie I've ever seen. And it is exactly what I wanted to see from Batman. You
2: know, it's funny. A friend of the show, Andre, Andre Fernandez Nick from the Nicotina show, he, um, he made a tweet that caught a lot of people's attention. It caught some fire. And uh, it, it was kind of like a, a redesign of, of the Patsy Cow. It had some white eyes, had more of a pointed nose, and it looks kind of like the Arkham Cowl, more or less. Um, I made a comment like, you know, if you do the white eyes with this version of Batman, it really just takes away from... It does. It takes away from the emotion that the eyes present throughout the entirety of the film. Yep. And, um, y- yeah, I, I, it's funny because, like, people clamor and claim... That the white eyes would work, and I'm like, no, I don't think they would. No, especially I don't, with I don't this think version they would Batman work. For, for
3: an entire movie. No, they would not work.
2: If like, you do some
3: do something like what they did in Batman v Superman, he doesn't need the white eyes until he's in the suit battling Superman. That worked,
2: right? Like, and even then, like it was only used very. Yeah, what's the right word here? Um it was used re- with reserve yeah. because it was only in the fight with superman and even then when his mask breaks I mean, during the fight like the white eyes go away mm-hmm. and it's funny because i was again watching the dark knight and a friend another friend of the show ryan hustleman he made mention that you know the it does deserve an honorable mention because there is a point at the end of the movie where batman's eyes do kind of turn like a bluish white and it is kind of kind of reminiscent of you know the animated series to some extent i think they look more blue than they do look white personally yeah but like it again the the same sentiment is echoed i don't think you do the white eyes throughout the entire movie because i i just don't see it working for for the better of it i just i just don't see it happening
3: that would be kind of interesting to see if someone in the future does some kind of like fan edit and they put in the white eyes throughout the whole film i i agree with you i think that would honestly take away from the performance to be honest
2: like more specifically robert pattinson's version of batman because you know his mm-hmm. the way he uses his eyes throughout the entirety of the movie is just so personal and point mm-hmm. of view it, if you just slap white eyes over it it doesn't really it it would take away from it because you you can't get a good gauge on the reaction and someone also meant, oh well they did it with deadpool Deadpool's a freaking comedy, yeah. and yeah. his whole face is scarred. Like, there's yeah. a completely different reason why, you know, that works there, and this doesn't work here. Why do you think that,
3: for example, in the Spider-Man movies, the most emotional moments are when he takes his mask off and he has to deal with, you know, something that happens in the films?
2: Right, like, like even... Even Spider-Man Far From Home or even Homecoming when, you know, his eyes, like you literally see them kind of move. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But that's just it. It's Mm -hmm. cool. It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But to your point, like all the emotion comes from when the mask is off. Like the whole third, the whole fight with Green Goblin and Spider-Man No Way Home. Tom Holland's not wearing a mask. Green Goblin ain't wearing a mask. Makes it so much better.
3: Yep, it really does.
2: So, I think Pattinson's there. Well, you mentioned Affleck, because, I mean, you know, Affleck's like the, Affleck's like Jim Lee's Batman walked off the page. Yep. Straight up. Like, there's no denying that that version of Batman is is hands down. Like, and comic accurate is such a loose term now, because if you look at Pattinson's suit, and then you look at Libra Bermejo's Batman suit, it's damn near one and the same. hmm Damn near. But if you want to talk, like, partly... Quotes here. Perfect. Ben Affleck's bat suit's like the closest you're probably ever going to get.
3: Yep. 100%.
2: Because his Batman's very evocative of Jim Lee's, of Frank Miller's, and, you know, even the cow a little bit is, is a little bit of Libra Mayo, too. Yeah. But another one I would probably add to that, this might catch me some flack, but I really don't care. Val <laughs> Kilmer. Yeah. More specifically in the sonar suit. Yeah. Cause That suit is perfection, yep. Because it doesn't have to be out, of, out of
3: the Schumacher yeah. films, that is definitely the best suit. I agree,
2: and you know, that's again not a knock to Keaton, but no. it, his suit is just like all black with the yellow belt. It's like, yeah, that's cool, but you can just tell it's rubber. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's cool, but all right. Whereas, like, the sonar suit, you know, it looks a little bit more armored. It's got a mm-hmm. big Hulk and Bat symbol on the chest, and like, you know, the ears aren't too long; they're not too short. They are kind of long, but you know, and 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 like when you saw Val Kilmer like react in the Bat suit, be it the Sonar suit or even be it just the you know the initial Panther suit, I gotta say his reactions are pretty priceless. Yeah, they are priceless and meme worthy, definitely.
3: I remember uh, one that sticks out to me is uh, in very early point in the movie. When he's fighting uh, two faces goons, mm-hmm. and the one, I think it's like the goon that has like the these kind of like blades almost, and he hops down, he like yells out, and the camera, Kilmer like turns and like the camera just focuses on him turning and looking, and just the expression on his face as the music is kind of picking up mm-hmm. for this fight, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I it makes me giggle every time. <laughs>
2: Or, you know, even when, um, when Two-Face kind of drops him or when he drops down the the giant tube and he like, you know, the flamethrower hits him and Two-Face is kind of, you know, getting all giddy because he thinks he's killed Batman and Batman rushes through the flames and Two-Face just goes, why can't you just die? (laughs) I'm like, you know, of all the goofy shit that happens in this movie, that's still one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Because, you know, he comes out triumphant out of that and it's, it's- you know batman be a batman one up in the villain yep and and even i think i would also say kilmer because he was the first batman i saw in a movie
3: he was the first one i saw in theaters
2: that's what yeah that's what i meant yeah. in theaters yeah. oh really you didn't see batman returns in theaters
3: nope i was still uh let's see i would have been what was that 92 or 93 i was born in 92 so yes so I was, like, seven, and I don't believe my parents... T- I don't think I got to go see that one in theaters. Okay. I think I think even back then, my parents saw,
2: like, the trailers for that, and they are like, eh, we might not take you to this one.
3: This one doesn't uh, look like one that you should go see.
2: <laughs> I will say that I prefer the Return suit opposed to the 89 suit. Me too. I like the Return suit better than 89. I kind of like Batman Returns more than I like Batman 89, so...
3: Yeah, I think I actually might have to go with you on that one.
2: And again, it just kind of boils down to creative choices. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, Daniel Vito is the Penguin, perfect. Selena Kyle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman, perfect.
3: Mm. Christopher Walken as Christopher Walken. <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> I know he was a different character, but come on, that that was just Christopher Walken playing Christopher Walken.
2: And I think I'm also going to have to add, just because it's so fresh in my mind, Bale. Yeah. I mean, this is probably, you know, Pattinson aside, because he still has, you know, a couple more movies and maybe a series or two under his belt to get in there. But, you know, his version of Bale's version of Batman is the only one that's really had like a a fully realized story arc from start to finish that you saw. Yep. Right. And like the formation, the middle and the end right and even in the first suit like i really do love the begin suit and even though i'm not too big on the dark knight or the dark knight rises suit i do appreciate that they took time to address you know the differences of each suit like in the dark knight when he goes to fox and says you know it would, it would make backing out of the parking lot a whole lot easier <laughs> yeah like stuff like that i i can appreciate and even just his whole like christian bale is an actor just to me like really good in his own right you know he brought Bruce Wayne like he he really brought a level of brevity there to Bruce Wayne that I don't know was present there from the other three actors before him to take on the role you know everyone likes to put Michael Keaton on this pedestal and I get it like he he was the number one after Adam West he was you know the dark brooding Batman he I'm Batman like he got to deliver that line first it's like yeah that's cool but to me like Bale really just nailed everything about the Bruce Wayne playboy persona. Yep. I agree. And I'm excited to see him be Gore the God butcher, even though I'm really not looking forward to that movie.
3: Still crazy that we're three months away and there hasn't been a single trailer.
2: You know, I think people have like the, the press tour started for that. And there was a social media picture shared It was either on Twitter or Instagram or whatever from Chris Hemsworth. And like, it, it's Hemsworth is in the middle, to his right is Taika, to his left is Tessa Thompson, and they're all holding up doing different hand signs, and everyone, you know, like, I think Taika's doing, like, a, a horns for two, right, and then, uh, or no, maybe he's doing the horns for four, Hemsworth's doing, like, the 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 peace sign, and then Tessa Thompson, I think, is just kind of holding up single finger I, I don't really remember <laughs> I'm not even going to bother looking it up but some people think that maybe just maybe there might be a trailer tomorrow as of recording this day we're recording on April 10th people think the trailer might come tomorrow April 11th mm. I don't know for sure but to Craig's point as he mentioned earlier the movies April May June July four months away now right like there hasn't been a trailer for it I don't know what the holdup is I'm not really jumping at, chomping at the bit to go see the movie because I was not a huge fan of Ragnarok, but I will say that Natalie Portman and Christian Bale are largely the reasons that I am going to go see it. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, you know, I would also say Adam West, but his suit is just <laughs> yeah almost a little too, too much for me. Yeah. Like I, I love 66 for what it is. I do truly, but I don't some know. Some days I... you just can't get rid of a bomb. Right. That that's literally my my most prominent memory of of, hit yep. of Adam West in the suit. And it's like, yeah, I don't I don't think I I, I love you. Or the I, <laughs> the scene
3: the scene with him on the on the batcopter and the shark yeah. on his foot. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, those are some good memories, huh? And uh, come on, man, Burgess Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> I mean hey, Scissor Man and
2: Frank man. Gorshin they, they they knew what to do they knew the, yeah. uh, they knew the assignment they did it well. <laughs> well that brings us to our well we already kind of talked about it I guess but favorite suit <laughs> yeah I think so let's see for me
3: favorite live action suit I would have to go with Affleck I mean (laughs) I just I can't there's none that can surpass that um and I kind of break them down into different categories so live action I would say Affleck
1: Mm -hmm.
3: animated this is where I get a little half and half on it I honestly think in terms of animated I really love the Batman Beyond suit
1: hmm
3: Okay. i love the batman beyond suit i remember loving it I, I watched the premiere episode when it came out on tv i really really loved that suit and i would love to someday see it in live action form in some way
2: you bring up a good point because batman beyond just has a completely different kind of color scheme as opposed to what's normally been presented right and like yeah. I love the bread and black so yep. much.
3: I love that the red symbol just takes up the entire like top portion, almost takes up his entire chest. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really love that. And I just love the simplicity of it because in that world that kind of works, he needs to just be this black kind of demon to scare these villains in this futuristic setting.
2: I don't think I can disagree, and honestly, you know, for my favorites, obviously Batfleck, but the more I think about it, the more I do love Pattinson's suit as well. Yeah. I do love that it is tailor-made for him, and I do love that it is outfitted with his own gadgets that he's built himself, and even the wingsuit, as much as he, like, fell on his ass and made a complete idiot of himself with <laughs> Yeah,
3: that, man, that was rough. <laughs> I still
2: love the way that it was done. I love everything about yep. that scene, except even to this day, even when I've seen it in the trailers and when I see it in the movie, I can still see the wire that he flies <laughs> down. I can still see it. And I'm sure someone out there, oh, no, you can't. No, bullshit. Pay close attention. You can see the wire. It's abundantly clear. But it's I'm, I'm not bothered by it much. But yeah, I, I do like Pattinson's suit. And I do like that his, his only batarang is kind of like this, you know, formation of like a a gun and it's off of his chest and he pulls it out. Like I think that's super cool.
3: I really liked how they did. That was a nice little surprise towards the very end of the film Mm -hmm. for him to just reach out and he grabs it off the chest. I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's why it was designed the way it was. Mm -hmm.
2: Or even like the way his grapnel gun kind of comes out from the bottom of his wrist. I thought that was a cool feature as well. But yeah, it, it's almost like his whole suit is kind of like a walking utility belt, and I appreciate that. Yep. Um, as far as animation, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you with Batman Beyond, but I think I'm also gonna go ahead and say um I think I actually really like this might be a little controversial, but I think I actually really like uh the, the new 52 animated version <laughs> that, that, you know son of batman batman versus robin like that animated version that was a good
3: yeah i like that suit too i, I really, really like that one
2: really like that one and i even liked when they did you know the, the transformation to his hush suit like i didn't mind mm-hmm. that at all and um
3: I, I also really i i loved the um the suit in um batman versus teenage ninja turtles
2: that's another good one too Because I I liked that they they called back
3: to kind of the classic design, but gave it kind of a modern look to it.
2: Yeah, to me, it really invoked a lot of Neil Adams, a lot of Jim Aparo, that old school kind of blue and gray feel. Yep, I do love that. Um, And I would actually even also say The Batman, like the TV show The Batman.
3: Yeah.
2: Like, I really (laughs) like that suit. I like that car quite a bit. Honestly, a lot of the suits at least as far as the Bat family was concerned, really enjoyed. His villains, mm, it's a little questionable. Yeah. Just a little questionable. Um Any last words? Cowabunga. <laughs> what? Cowabunga?
3: <laughs> That's such a great... uh I love that scene when Shredder's just like, what? Cowabunga? Mm-hmm. Batman doesn't say Cowabunga.
2: I would also say Arkham City. Yeah, because I'm I like Arkham Knight, but it's almost a little too armored for my taste. A little too much. Yeah,
3: they went a little too extreme in in Arkham Knight.
2: Whereas Arkham City, it was literally like the perfect dark blue, the perfect gray, the perfect shape for the bat on the on the suit. His yep. belt was just chock full of <laughs> stuff. It was just man. That's if if you really want like a. A pristine perfect version to where you can do something like that live action that would take the cake for me mm-hmm.
3: and I, I know they did it in arkham asylum but i think they did it even better in arkham city uh the way like the suit just gets tore up throughout the as you progress mm-hmm. through the
2: storyline was for both of them both arkham city and arkham asylum mm-hmm. like his suit just gets torn to shit by the end of the both yep. games yep trying to think. I would also probably say um maybe Telltale. I think Telltale also had a pretty solid version of the bat suit as well. Yeah,
3: given um, uh like I told you before we started this, I finished um, both seasons of Telltale uh, the other day and I really liked the way they progressed the suit from season 1 to season 2. I thought that was a really smart way to kind of do that cuz in season 1 it's a suit, you know, it's got a little bit of, like, armor to it, but not too much. And then by Season 2, he has been Batman much longer. He now has, like, it is much more of an armored suit. But unlike Arkham Knight, I thought the armor worked for that suit that he needed in that in that storyline.
2: Definitely. I feel like that suit in the Telltale game really fit that world well and even yes it really fit with the batmobile too because it was very almost interchangeable like you could yep. change aspects of it it was very modern futuristic but also very uh style it stylized i guess would be the or right way to say it maybe and
3: kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the white eyes mm-hmm. so the white eyes did not work i don't think would work if you did that on patents suit in the telltale it worked because again kind of similar to animation you can do things with the eyes that you would not be able to do in live action because the telltale Batman, when he's talking to someone and he has like an emotional reaction, since it is animation, they are able to do things like they did in the animated series. You're able to, you know, squint the eyes or raise them open more. So you still have the white eyes, but they are able to express emotion
2: I didn't even think about that, but you're right, yeah, because his white eyes are very much more prominent there Mm -hmm. in that game. Because in in, in the Arkham games, you don't see the white eyes at all, unless you're in detective mode. Yep. Which, again, you know, like, even even the Arkham games, like, you saw his eyes move up and down, you saw him squint, and it worked. Yep. So, again, proves the point that white eyes are not always necessary. Yep. All right, moving on to uh, favorite villain or villains in Batman's rogues gallery.
3: Oh, well, you know, my one of my personal favorites will always be, um, oh my gosh, Phantasm. Uh, just right. because, again, prior to the Batman, Batman Mask of the Phantasm was my personal favorite Batman movie. I grew up with that movie. I watched it. Over and over and over again on VHS. I remember constantly going over to my grandma's house. She had the VHS go over, get my schoolwork done, pop that VHS in and just watch it all the time. I love that movie and that villain just, again, the mystery of who the villain is in that movie, it's kind of obvious, Mm -hmm. but in terms of the character and what she brought to that story, I thought was a great way to kind of show this person who is similar to Bruce in what they have gone through and the tragic backstory that they've had. But unlike Bruce, they were not able to contain that rage and instead used their suit and their persona as a means of just pure vengeance.
2: That's a good choice. I mean, she was your, one of your picks for, um, A potential villain in the Batman, if I'm not mistaken, like in one of the sequels. Yep,
3: she's one of the ones I would love to see Matt Reeves bring the Phantasm to life.
2: Yeah, me too. And it would also be like you know, in the in the you know, not knocking wood, not hoping this happens, but in the event that maybe Zoe Kravitz was too booked up or too busy or could not reprise Little Catwoman, Mm -hmm. I feel like if you wanted to try and weave in another love interest, potential love interest there, and actually have them go. In a full-on villain direction, Andrea Beaumont as the Phantasm would probably be right there in that yep. category, prime and ready to go. Yep. Um, and, you know, hey, maybe the Joker started as one of her dad's goons, like Very in possible. Phantasm. Very possible, right? And yeah, again,
3: man. we're we're going into the next film with a Bruce who is now looking to be a symbol of hope. What better way than for him to have a rival or potential love interest that has given up on that hope and is now consumed by vengeance anger and just wants that vengeance. And now he has to try to show her, Hey, look, I was in that same spot as you, but I reached a turning point and I want to help you get to that turning point.
2: Mm. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite villains is probably going to be an unconventional one. It's probably going to chap some asses, but I really don't care. Uh, It's going to be Slade Wilson, Deathstroke. Oh, yeah. Deathstroke, man. Love him. And the reason I say this is because, you know, yeah, Bane broke his back. Yeah, there are a lot of other physical people that that Batman's come into contact with, like Wildcat and a couple other characters. But when it comes to straight-up perfect match of physical and mental prowess, I don't think there's another character other than Slade Wilson because... Deathstroke and Batman come into blows in Deathstroke's own solo series that was written by Marv Wolfman in 1991. And issue number seven is where they have their infamous fight on top of a clock tower. And this is also where Slade Wilson tells Batman, like, you trained your entire life to fight crime. I trained my entire life to kill. That's Mm -hmm. what separates you from me. But he also makes it known that he's enhanced. He's stronger. He's more powerful. And to me... Like, my, my very first interaction with Deathstroke was obviously from the Titan show way back when, from 05, somewhere in that, that ballpark, you know, with Dick Grayson, yeah. and Robin, mm-hmm. you know, Cyborg. I, think, I think
3: that was a lot of people's introduction to Slade Wilson, to be honest.
2: And predominantly, yes, he, is, he did start out as, like, a, a Titan's villain. There's no denying that. But I think over time having him go up against Batman and, and trust that he, him and Batman have fought quite a few different times. And Batman's won a handful of times. But Slade Wilson... Slade Wilson's one of the only few people who will hand Batman his ass on a platter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I... Look, I'm, I'm not saying I love watching Batman get his ass kicked, but every once in a while... you your boy's got to get humbled a little bit, right? Yep. And and it
3: it just further proves that, man, it's just such a bummer that we were not able to get that from Snyder. The way he hinted at that with Luther telling Slade who Batman is, it's just Mm -hmm. like, man, the opportunity to finally see that happen. Ben Affleck's Batman fighting Slade Wilson's just like ah man I'd
2: love to see that not just any Slade Wilson but Joe hello <laughs> yeah. yeah Slade Wilson like <laughs> yeah. the OG Flash Thompson from the Spider-Man trilogy is now Deathstroke yep oh shit like big <laughs> oh shit yep what
3: a fight that would have been
2: and you know hey Warner Brothers and Discovery just merged right like that yep. merger is now complete as of I think friday something yeah. like that oh,
3: what are they it's now warner brothers
2: discovery or That's is it what, warner discovery it's warner brothers discovery every okay and i guess their new logo is very reminiscent of the hbo max logo it's purple with white lettering and like anyway hmm. in the event knock on wood in yep. the event that david zaslov mandates zach snyder you know, green light these sequels, let them happen. Mm-hmm. Be it a be it a series on HBO Max, or even like full on three, four hour movies, does not matter to me. In my personal, humble opinion, I say you fold some of those Batman movie elements into Zack Snyder's Justice League Part Two mm-hmm. or Part mm-hmm. Three. Like have Deathstroke working with the Riddler to set those riddles up, and then have Deathstroke be the be the shark that he was to be in that movie. But I don't really know how you work that out. But yeah, that's an ideal I would try personally. But yeah, like that, that's that's definitely something that I think a lot of Batman fans have wanted to see in live action since Batman Arkham Origins. Yeah. Which is also kind of part of the reason I I, I chose Deathstroke, because that fight in that game is hard.
3: Yep. So damn hard. And
2: it's it's crazy too. It's just it just it's nonstop. You're just like,
3: when is this gonna end? <laughs>
2: I also think it kind of goes without saying that uh, the Clown Prince of Crime is probably on this list, too. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Obviously.
3: Given that we just talked about Heath Ledger's Joker for how long?
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, I almost kind of broke it up into a couple different categories, like Batman's physical threat, Batman's mental threat, and then Batman's psychological threat. And I feel like the Joker, for me, is one villain who, just on a psychological level, will always be on top because batman is like he's the tactician he can predict anything he's always prepared except for when it comes to the joker yep the joker is the one character that he cannot for the life of him figure out what he's gonna do next he's the
3: character that in batman beyond in the movie return of the joker he straight up tells terry you're not taking this on Mm -hmm. And Terry's like, but I am Batman. I have to. He's like, you have no idea what you're dealing with. I do. You are not getting involved with this.
2: I even like that their whole conversation, even like, you know, after that first encounter with them, he's so Terry's like, so what? This guy's got to be like, what? Mid 80s. Bruce doesn't say a word. Nope. Because he's just mortified at the fact that this dude is back. It does, he doesn't
3: care. It, it doesn't matter if he's in his eighties. It's the Joker. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And even that whole like retelling of what they did and, you know, how they kind of borrowed elements of uh the death of the family death in the yep. family and what they did to Robin and mm-hmm. like everything about that was just so vile from what the Joker yep. you know, from what the Joker's capable of. And it's just mind like what he does to certain characters to yep. just get at batman is just so dastardly and evil or even like one episode that comes to mind is the laughing fish where where um you know batman's kind of holed up with a couple of people and uh I don't remember the the character's name, but, like, you know, he's talking about getting sprayed with Harley's gunk or whatever. And then Batman immediately, like, switches from, you know, noir detective mode to get this man to a hospital now. He's like, he he doesn't even know what he's been hit with, but he knows damn good well it isn't going to end well. And then, of course, like, you know, there's, there's a van coming and they shoot, like, this swordfish dart thing and it releases the gas and it makes this dude laugh. Oh, my God. Oh, man. The Joker is just one of the most unpredictable villains that's that's ever been created.
3: I mean, that scene from The Dark Knight Returns sticks out in my mind where he's like, I just want people to get to know me. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm going to kill every single person in this room. Do you and, have any more of these mugs? And then he yeah. smashes <laughs> it and slits the dude's throat. It's like, yeah. oh.
2: Or even like um, their, their, their final confrontation in the Tunnel of Love where he's like... Yep you know, we can still land on a high note. Like, he's having fun with it because they've been at this for so long.
3: And, he, and he's the only character out of all of these villains that has always been able to push Bruce to his absolute breaking point. No matter what kind of interpretation of the characters, no matter if it's film, no matter if it's animated, whether it's comic book, he is the character that can... Get Batman to reach that point of no return.
2: There are very few characters who can push Batman to that point. I think the Joker's one of them, definitely. I don't know that too many others can come that close. Maybe the Court of Owls, but that's because they they kind of act like a shadow figure throughout the entirety of the city. But yeah, from like a, just a personal standpoint, yeah, no, it's it's the Joker. There's no ifs ands or buts about it. Speaking of the Joker, were there any other villains that you had in mind that could you add to this list? So,
3: one that I wasn't going to add, but given what I have experienced with the character over these last couple months, I now have a, a renewed appreciation for the character, and that would have to be the Riddler. Mm. Um, I was going to say the Riddler, too. Just because of now that I have experienced different iterations of the Riddler beyond what I was always used to i mean i was i grew up with the animated series riddler so yeah i mean he was a threat but he wasn't he wasn't a prominent threat in the animated series i felt like his episodes were were good but he was nowhere on the level of like joker mr freeze you know clayface even i would say was more of a threat than the riddler um then of course we had jim carrey's riddler i appreciate him for what he Brought to the role, but very different interpretation of the Riddler. Um, But then we get Dano's Riddler. And then recently, like I said, I just got done playing Telltale's Batman for the Mm -hmm. first time. Mm -hmm. And man, I really dug that version of the Riddler. I love this. Like he was an anti-hero before Batman. And he's like, who do you think you are coming in and like doing what I used to do? but he was obviously a much more menacing anti-hero than Batman was trying to get Batman to understand that. Like I did what you did before you were even born, but I also took the lives of those that needed to be taken. So he was a, he was a much more villainous version of the Riddler that I had ever seen before. And I really dug that. I liked that version. So all of these different interpretations that i've seen lately have really gained a new respect of the riddler for me
2: i think for me it does kind of go back to gorshin and carries interpretation because they are very parallel and similar they are also very different because you know gorshin was always constantly kind of working with other villains he was most prominently like you know the batman movie where it's you know riddler penguin catwoman joker that was those were the four yep and there's this 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 idea that he that he has to be smarter than batman and yep. that even goes into the animated series where he's voiced by john glover like that version of that of the character is just hell-bent on proving the intellectual superiority mm-hmm. and even getting to like you know batman hush he's a very prominent character in that too because he's the one who has all the information by the end of the book you find out that spoilers riddler had cancer got rid of the cancer by getting in the lazarus pit but he also figured out bruce Wayne was batman but if he gave that information away the fun would go away Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me to see how much this character has evolved into such a formidable mental threat for batman and even going into like You know, Arkham Asylum, where you hear him over the intercom radio, and he's just constantly taunting Batman about getting all the riddle trophies and figuring out all the shit around Arkham Asylum, going even further with Arkham City and having those death traps built. Like, what what can I say? Like, yeah, the the iconic look of him with the cane never gets old. Don't get me wrong. Love it. But when you get to something like Dano's version of the character where he's a legit serial killer and he leaves these really cryptic ciphers, holy shit. Like, what better way to really bring about this character who's hyper intelligent and just hell bent on just proving a point through the use of puzzles and being like, yeah, you want my answer? Figure it out because I already know it before you're going to say it. I love everything about that character, even when it comes down to color scheme and when it comes to just interpretations, when it comes to overall look. And, and you know, whether he's in like a, a, a green unitard covered in riddle marks or whether he's in a, a three piece suit with a Riddler mark on a tie, like I don't care. He's one of my favorite. He's arguably my my favorite Batman villain, like straight up Batman villain from his original rogues gallery. Yeah, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to go with the Riddler over the Joker. Yeah,
3: I even liked I liked the design he had in the Telltale one, how he has this kind of like he's got the green like um, eye thing, you know, thing over his eyes. But he's got like a hoodie, Mm -hmm. like a green hoodie over his head. And I liked how his Riddler cane, it could be used as basically a scythe.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. got
3: a blade at the end of it, but he also could use it to control different electronics. He could also use it as, I mean, there were so many different ways he used it in the small amount of time he was in the Telltale series. I, I really, really dug that interpretation of him in that game.
2: Agreed. Yeah, I think the, um, the domino mask kind of did work a little bit, and it was kind of a, a nod to, you know, Gorshin and to his comic roots, which was cool, too. So, yeah, I, I had Riddler, I had Slade Wilson... I did think of Joker. You had Phantasm and Riddler. Was there any, any more you had up in the memory bank? No, because
3: my next one that I was going to say was the Joker just oh. because of how important he is. So,
2: Last but not least, we have reached the last mm-hmm. bit of it. I think it's probably going to be one of the more important parts of this. And that is the impact on culture that Batman's had as well as an influence in films as well as each director's own stamp on the character. Now, Batman's been around for 83 years and he's had I think nine or ten films whether they're solo whether he's been with other characters in DC and I don't think there there's a character who's had an even larger I, I would say Spider-Man probably came close but I think Batman has probably had one of the biggest impacts on you know film and even animation in a lot of different ways. I think so I
3: I know that You know, there was the Superman movies, you know, prior, but I feel like Batman 89 was really, that was the starting point of people kind of looking at comic book movies as something more than just kind of popcorn filler. Mm -hmm. I think it was the point where you could take these kind of more serious ideas with these characters and put them in a film and actually make it work
2: i think when it comes to taking these characters seriously yes i would say that christopher reeve and richard donner kind of put that first stone into the walkway but i think that batman 89 burton and keaton what they did with it kind of really set the foundation for that stone as well around it and leading forward because you know after batman in 97 you know after batman and robin really failed you know after that there was blade which really kind of helped keep that light and flame lit and then of course you know you get to x-men and then you get to spider-man with danny you know again danny elfman scored that Mm-hmm. Sam Raimi, and like, even getting into, you know, Batman Begins, and and really like, Batman Begins really set a tone for a lot of superhero films going forward. And it's funny because, you know, Kevin Feige, who's the, the head of Marvel Studios, he's often cited uh Richard Donner and the first Superman movie with Reeves as like, you know, the the blueprint. Christopher Nolan's echoed a similar very a very similar sentiment. Like he he looked at that film it's kind of a basis for how he revitalized Batman mm-hmm. way back when, like he looked at that and really kind of formulated his, his whole story surrounding Bruce Wayne off of that. Whereas, you know, you look at what, what Burton and Keaton did and it's not quite the same thing. It's actually quite a, a, a very big departure in terms of tonality. I mean, it kind of had to be because, you know, Superman's a very bright, optimistic character whereas batman is this very dark tragic figure right yep so getting into you know just the impact that this character's had over the years like i don't think you can deny that that his impact is just as large as a lot of other ones if not maybe the largest
3: yeah i mean you're talking about a character in a film series that you know An actor won a Academy Award for Best Actor for playing a comic book villain.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: That's just, that's something to think about there. Heath Ledger winning that. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's because he passed away. That's why they wanted to give. No, he earned that Oscar because of that role that he played. Um, You know, every time it seems like there is a major turning point with film and... I guess you would say, like, the comic book or superheroes, Batman is one of those turning points. Yes, there is the Marvel Universe, you know, Marvel D or Marvel um, Universe and all that, MCU. But I think that Batman was... Those films are what got us to that point. I mean, you look at the very first MCU film, Iron Man. Look at the way that they set up Iron Man... And look at Batman Begins. And you can definitely see that there was some inspiration taken there.
2: I don't disagree at all. I mean, you know, Iron Man is is in... I don't even want to water this down as much as I'm going to sound. It to, but, you know, honestly, like... The impact that Batman even had on, on comic book characters way back when, too. Because a lot of, you know... Marvel characters can be seen as, as Batman clones. I mean, even Oliver Queen is sometimes referred to as a Batman clone, right? Yeah. Like, you know, human billionaire puts on a suit, and delivers, cri- delivers crime fighting justice. Like mm-hmm. it, it's really kind of that simple, right? But you look at Iron Man billionaire uses his own technological prowess or, you know, he uses his fortune to, you know, help better the society that he's currently residing in. Right. Like it, it's, it's, almost nearly one in the same Mm -hmm. and even looking at the structure of like how the first iron man film and batman begins they are almost one in the same to some extent or another but again you know i also think that that kind of does lead a little bit of credence to you know the whole following the blueprint that is donner's superman to some extent or another because you know nolan and and feige have both been on record even citing that movie as such the difference is nolan went forward with two other movies kevin feige literally for any origin film i i want i would imagine probably makes the director see if they haven't or you know cite it superman 78 there's there's your there's your structure for your film yeah right like i even think about something like like captain marvel not really a huge fan of that movie, but I can absolutely see some of the influence there from 78 Mm -hmm. or even like, uh, Black Panther to some extent or another. No knock to those movies at all, but, you know, a lot of the origin films in the MCU kind of do follow that same Superman 78 Batman Begins kind of structure. Yeah. To some extent or another. And, like, it's funny, too, because because Like things like people like James Cameron have obviously had a big influence on the film industry. Movies like Star Wars have had a massive impact on the film mm-hmm. industry. Then you look at like the character of Batman and the things that he's done in, in the movies that were more relative than not. And it, it really is interesting how things like this tend to push the boundaries of what you can do with storytelling or what you can do with a filmmaking from a creative aspect, be it shot composition or be it. Scene and dialogue delivery, or what have you because I could probably look at most of the Batman movies and pick and point which have been pulled from in movies that I've seen in my time yeah. now. yep like an, a prime example I think today would probably be um, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Craig, but but uh, Chloe Shaws the Eternals from Marvel Studios.
3: I started it. I haven't finished it yet.
2: So that, to me, is probably the first one that doesn't quite follow the Christopher Reeve blueprint in which, you know, a lot of these other films have. And it's funny because the director, again, Chloe Zhao, she's even mentioned that her inspiration for her version of Icarus was modeled after Zack Snyder's version of Superman. Hmm. Which is interesting to think about. And even some of some of the sequences in that movie do kind of remind me. And even some of, some of the storytelling to some extent actually is, is very reminiscent of what Zack Snyder did with his time on the DC stuff. Hmm. But yeah, everything's it's, subjective.
3: It, it's very interesting to see that, you know, this character is now 83 years old and still maintains a sense of relevancy to this day, maybe even more so than he ever has. Just the idea of someone who wants to do better for people, but has to do it in a way that is outside, you know, what is typically referred to as like the lawful right. And, you know, he, mm-hmm. he has this drive to help people, but he knows that he can't do everything that he wants to do, without going outside the law
2: i think it's very impactful in a lot of ways but i also think that each director who's had a hand on batman has brought something to the table and i've said that a couple different times now but to really think about it it's like you know tim burton brought brought the character of batman from this 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 campy Perspective that was there from the '66 show and even some of the Silver Age comics, and then they kind of jump back and the cartoons, that. honestly, right? And the cartoons, but then they also kind of jump back into it with Schumacher's version of the character. Which, looking back at now, I can understand why they would do that given certain real world circumstances happening, you know, after Batman returns, leading into Batman Forever, but then kind of having it blow up in their face by the time they get to Batman and Robin. Then you get to what Nolan did. And Nolan's stamp on the character really showed the world that you can do these characters in a very serious, real way and have it still be entertaining. And then by the time you get from Nolan to Snyder, Snyder really, Zack Snyder, he really took the character and was like, you know, I see what Chris did. I see what Joel and I see what Tim did. It's like, I'm gonna try And not necessarily one-up them, but I'm going to do my own thing. And honestly, like, I don't think anyone's made a DC film quite like Zack Snyder because that dude looks at a a comic book page and goes, I'm going to bring that to life. Yep. And he straight up did that with Batman. Yep.
3: He's the only one out of everything that I've seen all these years that I've been here alive is that he literally brings the comic characters to life and he puts those scenes. He literally rips them out of the comic and puts them on the screen and makes them just look amazing.
2: Yeah. I don't think there's anyone who has such vision, visionary technical prowess as Zack Snyder. And even getting into what Matt Reeves is doing, like I think Matt Reeves has looked at all of them and said, I'm going to do what all these guys did and kind of roll it all into one yeah you know like i mean matt reese is even cited like i love he said at dc fandom 2020 i love ben affleck's version of batman Mm -hmm. and and it's just funny to me that that so many people get so wound up and so like tribal about a, a certain specific version of batman like and that's that's kind of the part that really chaps my ass because like there's there's a subsect of fans who put Keaton on this pedestal, Then there's a lot of other fans who would just put Nolan and Bale's version of of the character on a, on a giant pedestal. And then, you, of course, you've got your really hardcore Zack Snyder fans who will take Ben Affleck's Batman or nothing at all. Yeah. And it's like
3: and they all Batman. bring something,
2: right? Like like Batman is Batman. Yeah, all these guys have done phenomenal things with their time in the character, and I I, I think mean. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Um, I'm going to go on a tirade, but go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, like,
3: to me, too, I look at it, I look at the films as, look at, look at the way we do the comics. Every artist, every writer has their own interpretation of the character. Some are better than others, and it depends on your point of view, and it's the same thing with the films. These are just different interpretations of this same concept of the character.
2: Right, so when... When people like to say that, oh, the Batman is just riffing The Dark Knight, I'm like, no, it's not. No. Like, I, I literally just watched The Dark Knight four hours ago, three hours ago, whatever. I've seen The Batman four times. Are there things in them that happen similarly? Yes. Why is that the case? Because it's based off the character of Batman, and these things have mm-hmm. been done before. Like, like I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, and just, you know... Take a dump on the opening of the Batman because it, it, in some way, shape, or form, does it kind of do something similar to the beginning of the Dark Knight? Yeah, it does. Like, there's a bat signal and a goon gets afraid. That happens in the Dark Knight. In, <laughs> yeah, in the Batman. It happens in the animated series. It, it happens, happens in the animated in series. The comic well. books. Right. Like, <laughs> th- this is all things that has been done in other Batman mediums before, and I, I'm, I'm not gonna sit there and be like, oh, see that, rip that off. It's like, no, that's nonsense.
3: Yeah, because at that point, then you're just going to start, well, yeah, there's a, a Batmobile car chase scene that's ripping off Nolan's movies. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, there's never been a Batmobile car chase scene in any other aspect of
2: Batman. Right. Yeah, and you know, it's funny to me that that <laughs> certain fans like to say certain things for just outright shock value. Yeah. And like I've it, the, the majority of fans that I've interacted with that have seen the Batman, whether they like the old movie overall or not, they I have heard majorly the same thing about that car chase. It is the sentiment. This is one I echo. I'm sure Craig feels the same way and a lot of other people feel that the car chase in The Batman is hands down the best one put to screen. Yep. And if you say it looks like shit, I'm sorry. You're not being honest. You're yeah. being disingenuous. Yeah. Like, it and and, and <laughs> I've seen that once or twice, and it's like, okay, you're 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 literally just saying that to piss people off. Yeah, they're looking for a reaction. hmm mm-hmm. It's like I don't buy it at all when when stuff like that is said. Like, it's super super funny to me, and what's even funnier to me is like you know. A lot of people like to make this claim that because Batman v. Superman didn't make a billion dollars, it was a flop. And it's like, no. Uh, Yeah. No, that movie is not a flop. Not by any mathematical, equationable sense. It is not a flop. And now that the Batman isn't even reaching the billion dollar mark, some people are looking at that as like, oh, well, this one's got to be a flop too, right? It's like, no.
3: This is the end of Batman. They're not going to continue on. They're going to go in a new
2: direction. (laughs) It's like... It's like people don't understand the difference between what a domestic haul and a worldwide haul can do and what it does or does not mean. And yep. honestly, had the pandemic not happened, this film would be a lot more profitable. But according to what's been reported, you know, the budget jumped up by a hundred million dollars because of proto- COVID protocols, and I'm sure pushing pushing the film back twice or three times yeah. didn't help the marketing team at all. So. It went from being like a $100 million movie to a $200 million movie, which is kind of expected for a Batman film. Yep. So, to me, if they do a second one, I could see the initial budget being somewhere between, I don't know, $125, $150 million, give or take. Yeah. So, regardless, 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 like, what matters at the end of the day, at least for me anyway, like, Mm -hmm. is the story good? Is the acting great? Is it all there for a good ingredient for an end of the day kind of meal? In my opinion, yeah, a lot of them are. Some of them I won't watch, but most of them I will.
3: And again, too, you know, in terms of the impact on the culture, much like how we were saying that the Batman 89 was kind of the turning point for people to kind of look at comic book movies in a new light. I honestly, and I'll I'll always say this because I still stand by it, Batman the Animated Series was a major turning point, I think, in animated Mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. At that time, you know, you think back to the early 90s, there was nothing like Batman the Animated Series. There were, cartoons were pretty much just that. It was things for kids. And this series comes out, and yes, it is geared towards kids in a way. But a lot of the themes and a lot of the story content is very adult-oriented. I mean, come on, Heart of Ice, you know, Clayface's origin. There's so many things that happen in that animated series that I think made people look at it and go, oh, so cartoons can be taken a little more seriously, too. And it was Batman that drove that.
2: You know... When it comes to Batman the animated series, I feel like there were a lot of subsequent shows that kind of looked at that in terms of inspiration. One that immediately comes to oh, mind I think is um, Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah. Cuz that one kind of it did its own thing, but it really homaged Spider-Man in a way that, you know, it, I feel like it homaged Spider-Man in the same way that the animated series captured the spirit of Batman like spectacular spider-man did that same thing is i guess what i'm trying to get at yeah and
3: in terms of score i mean the soundtrack to that show Mm -hmm. you just can't top it
2: it is so well done i mean you can even hear it in the batman yeah the movie 100 percent. you can hear that score almost not quite beat for beat but you can hear elements of it in that score and I would even also say that Batman had an impact on video games. Yeah. Like, the Arkham games really set a set a bar for certain other characters. And uh, honestly, I would even say that the, the Spider-Man game that came out in 2018 had a lot of inspiration from the yeah. Arkham games.
3: The, I mean, even the, um, the gameplay style. Look how many games have copied that combat
2: system Very from true. the Arkham games. Very true. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man's is almost not quite a carbon copy, but it's it's pretty close. Pretty close.
3: Yeah. It's pretty close.
2: And I would even also say um I haven't played the Avengers game, but I feel like there's there's some slight inspiration there too, but I could be totally wrong about that. Yeah, I haven't
3: touched the Avengers game. I I have no interest in that game whatsoever.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll get around to it. Uh, an f- old friend of mine, well, not really an old friend, but an old, old co-worker uh, played the Guardians games, and he told me I should I should check it out. And maybe I will, but I, I don't know. I got a lot of games I got to play. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I think, you know, for, for a character that's been around for 83 years, this has just been... Seminal. I mean, he's he's a character that's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I mean, much like you, I remember going to my grandma's house and watching majorly Batman-related stuff Mm -hmm. more often than not. So this character has always been a part of my life, and I'm pretty confident he's going to be there throughout the remainder of it. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. Matter of fact, Batman is the reason this podcast exists. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Batman. Much appreciated we'll always be happy to talk about you whenever we get the chance but speaking of talking about the Batman we always like to end these episodes with a little bit of animation we've been talking about the animated series for quite some time throughout this episode and we are also currently doing an animated series rewatch on HBO Max for any of you fine folks following along and our most recent episode is The Clock King Music watched this episode earlier today and i hadn't seen it in quite some time it has been quite a long time since i had seen the clock king what about you craig was the last same
3: same with me i think i watched it just a couple of days ago to get ready for the episode but probably prior to that i mean we're talking when i was probably a little kid because this is not an episode that i remember fondly yeah but i it's one of those things like i remember the character of the clock king mm-hmm. but i did not remember anything regarding the plot
2: of it yeah i'm right there with you it, it has been quite some time since i had seen this episode i remember it distinctly for sure like i remember like the clock king what he looks like visually yeah but the 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 episode itself was something i had not quite recalled so getting to revisit it here was actually really fun because it's quite a doozy of an episode if i'm being brutally honest
3: Mm -hmm. for such a kind of i guess you would say a forgettable character it's actually kind of a standout little episode
2: it really is
3: it's a very much it's an homage i think to me this is very much a like silver age style episode
2: i can't disagree because there are certain things that happen in this episode that i'm just kind of like tilting my head at a little bit yeah (laughs) like uh one thing that stood out to me for this episode was batman got chauffeured around by alfred instead of using the yeah. automobile
3: yeah i thought that was weird too <laughs> he's just hanging out in the limo with alfred the whole episode
2: mm-hmm. it's like you, do you think nobody's gonna see you popping out of this limo <laughs> yeah but i do like that this epi- like the episode begins with with our main antagonist we are introduced to temple fugate 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 i don't really know how to really pronounce it but this is a dude who lives in breathes by a timed schedule
3: and yeah, you talk about a guy that is going to be on time to everything this is the epitome of it
2: oh for sure like he's got his coffee break jotted down to a specific time of the day which i don't know that i could do that
3: and doesn't he, he gets mad
2: at his assistant
3: because he brings him his coffee like a couple seconds late or something like that. So
2: he gets mad at one of his co- one of his underlings for bringing in paperwork like five minutes late. And he even tells him like, you know, the copier makes 37 pages, yeah. like a, a minute and 49 seconds a page. Or it should take <laughs> like a minute and 49 seconds to have this all done. Why are you five minutes late? You do this again. You're fired. Yeah. But. He's freaking out because he's due for a court session because his company is going to, you know, wind up in the hole for $20 million. And he, at, at this point, he's taking a train to work and he actually meets, um, at this point in time in, in the timeline, lawyer Hill. Because mayor he's not Mayor Hill yet. Yep. And Hill yeah. advises Temple to kind of relax a little bit, maybe go against his schedule. Well, that was probably the worst advice Mayor Hill could have given anybody especially this man because uh when temple fugate decides to go against his time schedule that he's planned out every single day he goes to the park sits down it's like five minutes past nine and he hasn't had his coffee yet and he's just sitting there wondering and taking it all in right and he's just like kind of looking around but then he gets smacked in the back of the head with a ball
3: <laughs> yeah and then wackiness ensues because everything that could go wrong goes wrong for right. him
2: like all his papers fly off into the wind and then he winds up trying to get one piece of paper that lands in a little um <laughs> little what are the what are those like uh wishing fountains I guess yeah like, yeah. It, it winds up in a fountain right and then he's like leaning over it a dog walks up behind him for whatever reason and barks and <laughs> yeah, the this fool falls comes, into it
3: I love the, I love the way that scene played out the dog just comes out of nowhere and he's just sitting there and he's like I'm gonna bark at this guy
2: yep <laughs> bark and then just Sends him into the fountain. So then this all makes him late for his for yep. his court meeting, right? And then is you know, the judge is like, Well, your dude's late. Tough shit. He's in the hole for twenty million dollars now. Yep. And he like even has the audacity to be like, Maybe you should have been on time. And it's like, Oh that is not the guy you should say that to Yeah,
3: causes him to go bankrupt.
2: He goes bankrupt, but like Just thinking about, like, being a guy who's constantly on time, and then the one time you're late, it just completely messes everything up for you. Literally ruins your life. Literally just straight up ruins your life, right? Like, how do you not look at Mayor Hill and just think, (laughs) like, dude, I took your advice and you screwed my life up. So, this is his villain origin story.
3: (laughs) Yep. Seven (laughs) years later, he comes back as the Clock King.
2: Which... There really isn't much of a difference from his outfit then and his outfit Not now. Not really. No, except... he's just
3: wearing he's he's wearing glasses with the um, timepieces in it.
2: Yeah, and they're set at like three o'clock, something yep. like that. <laughs> That's so it's so wild. Like I love the simplicity of it, but at the same time, it's it is very Silver Age, like you mentioned.
3: Yeah, I mean, like the fact that he's got like, uh, what is it, little like um stop or um timepieces that he can throw and their bombs it's like a very very silver age
2: type stuff Mm -hmm. so uh, as you mentioned you know we get to seven we get a seven year time jump seven years later right and then uh bruce and alfred are in downtown gotham and they're kind of just chatting about the day but then they wind up getting in a collision with a taxi driver and alfred kind of goes to belittle this taxi driver
3: Uh, i like uh, yeah alfred gets like legit like irritated yep
2: <laughs> and it's funny because bruce wayne's the one to make Luke, make him and the other driver realize hey this is neither of your faults yeah, you yeah look at the traffic light right yeah and of course you know traffic lights are going bonkers and then you kind of it pans up and you see the clock king up on top of a building and he's just watching all this shit unfold and he's just like <laughs> a little snickering and whatnot but then like it's, fu- it's funny because at this point, Batman kind of deduces something's not right here. So then he decides to, I don't know how, put on his bat suit and pursue the saboteur. Who's the saboteur behind all this? Well, sure enough, Temple Fugate is now going by the Clock King. Yep. And then he proceeds to tell Batman that the 915 subway is always six minutes early or something to that effect. And then Batman winds up getting... Um, he cross-references some some i don't even remember because i took shitty notes this time i'm sorry um <laughs> he, he he cross-references some information and then finds an address 362 Brayfogle. this is a nod to one of the most prominent batman artists norm Brayfogle. oh really i didn't yeah. know that yeah if you look up norm Brayfogle's art you'll you'll just be mesmerized because this dude has done some pretty spectacular pieces for batman but um After this, Batman goes to the uh, the address with Alfred still chauffeuring him around, which is still funny as hell to me. Why why Alfred is just playing chauffeur this whole episode is just funny as hell. So at this point, um, they go to the address and it turns out to be the old company that Fugate owned. Like Temple Clocks or something like that. And uh, at this point, it's now um, Batman's gotten some information that Fugate has blacked out an entire city block. He gas bombs a bank, leaves behind a box that saps the oxygen from the bank vault that Batman Bat, is yeah, now that stuck crazy. in. Yeah, that was crazy. That was very elaborate.
3: Yeah. And the way he has like, he has like a little recording on and He's like, you know, Batman, I know like Batman goes to like, doesn't he, he get something out of his utility belt? And Fugate already knows what he has on his utility belt. And he's like, if you try that, it's going to blow up the room that you're in. Mm -hmm. So, like, he very much did his homework and he knew exactly what Batman was going to try to do in the situation that he was in.
2: Which is interesting to me because I'm just like, how the hell did you find out all this information about Batman? Yeah. But then again, you know, there's a seven year time jump. He's probably had plenty of prep time to figure out a whole plan. Yep. And then Batman takes the tape out. He takes like the tape out of the tape box that's playing the tape. And then he takes like the literal reels out of yeah. it and decides to build like a, he builds like a barrier out of the money sacks too. Yep. Cause he, cause you know, as you mentioned, like the, the box that Clock King leaves him is like, it's going to explode, right? Like if yeah. he messes with it. So Batman sets up this very specific barrier and sets up the box in a way that would blow the door back open. Meanwhile, fugate has redirected this new subway system to crash into mayor hill's re-election party because for whatever reason mayor hill's still up for re-election i feel like that's a reoccurring thing throughout the majority of the animated series it's like mayor hill's always up for re-election yep no one can seem to top him which is strange very strange indeed so batman winds up blowing the bank off the door after making a wall of money as a barrier for protection and in wake of the subway disaster mayor hill has been vanished and has likely been kidnapped so then we go to a giant clock tower in which the mayor is tied to on one of the hands, and sure enough, here comes Temple Fugate, and he's like, "Hey, remember me? Guess what? You kind of ruined my life." And mayor's just Mayor Hill's just like, "What? I had nothing to do with that trial." And he was like, "Your lawyers were present throughout my trial. Yep. Uh, on top of that, you told me to take my break at nine fifteen. You told me to take my coffee at nine fifteen. Look what happened." And and Mayor Hill's like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to be helpful. And yep. Fugate's just convinced, like, no, you're full of shit. You're a liar. Yep. But sure enough, who comes to rescue Mayor Hill and stop all the shenanigans? Batman. And mind you, too, his
3: the goal was to have the clock hands crush the mayor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wanted the clock hands to squish him like a bug.
2: And then like. One of the great one-liners delivered from Batman once again. I'm here to clean your clock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, these one-liners are gonna be the epitome of of these episodes. I'm telling you. Yep. So they fight on the clock, right? But then Batman loses his balance, but regains his footing. But the the ironic thing is, is like all of this is predicated on the fact that Fugate is legit butthurt at the fact that he was late. Hmm. and he really is just kind of blaming the mayor and it's like look man people can give you advice right yeah it's up to you, you don't have to take it exactly whether you want to take it is entirely up to you and in that moment you made the mistake yep but it is what it is batman manages to stop the clock tower with fugate's big hand cane which again i think is actually a really cool motif yeah I almost also feel like maybe the Clock King is kind of like a, a predecessor for the Riddler because there are some some similarities there between the two characters.
3: I think so too. Even just in the uh, in the design, mm-hmm. it it's very reminiscent of the Riddler.
2: I mean, he's got a bowler cap on for goodness' sake. Yep, and a and a cane. So yep, the,
3: they in the might... form of a clock hand that he can use
2: as a sword, which is also very intricate. Yep. What if Matt Reeves used the Clock King?
3: That'd be <laughs> that would be an interesting take.
2: I mean, I've seen him used an Arrow. Yeah. But I don't know how well he would translate into a film. I feel like if you are going to do Clock King, it'd probably have to be like under that like Mad Hatter, ventriloquist, yeah. like low level takeout in the beginning of the movie type of villain. Yeah. But I have no idea. I truly have no idea. But this is also um one of the only few I think he escapes. Like so he
3: falls, he falls presumably to his death, mm-hmm. but then I think at the very end, I think it's Gordon that said, it's either Gordon or the mayor tells Batman, they're like, you know, we can't find the body, but under, underneath all this wreckage, like there's no way he would have survived. And Batman is the one that tells him like, nah, if there's somebody who could have probably survived this fall and got in the way, probably the clock king which i thought was kind of interesting for him to say that for batman to like admit that this guy called the clock king has the capability to get away from the situation
2: yeah i did find that pretty interesting all things considered and then you know he saves the mayor and that that that's kind of it i'm mm-hmm. gonna start rolling right
3: uh, yeah a very kind of similar to like the silver age of comics it was just a Villain have this very specific goal. Batman pops in, stops the villain.
2: Happy days. That's pretty much it. Villain has some very uh, what's the right word here? Um, he had gadgets and motifs catered yeah. to his persona. In this case, very clock based. <laughs> very clock based. Very clock based. And stopwatches and
3: exploding stopwatches and all kinds of stuff.
2: yeah I think for me this is probably like a four out of five bat wings
3: yeah I'd say a four out of five it's silly it's it's not one that you're gonna like remember but you have fun while you watch it
2: yeah it's I'm not gonna say it's a must watch but I will say it's worth the watch yeah I think I think that would probably be the best way to say it
3: yep just make sure you watch it on time
2: well you know i'll take that over a couple freeze puns i'll tell you <laughs> all right so our next couple episodes we've got on the docket here as i mentioned earlier we are going to see the last laugh next then after that is the eternal youth and then after that we get another another two-parter and that is two-face part one and two-face part two yeah
3: i'm looking forward to the last laugh i i specifically remember that one very
2: well uh me personally i am looking forward to eternal youth duh but I'm also really looking forward to the Two-Face two-parter because this this is this is these are really, really mm-hmm. good episodes. These are super, they are. They're probably some of the best animated ones they've ever done. Yep. But holy shit, th- this is probably one of my favorite versions of the Two-Face. Voice acting in this is top-notch too. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can't, yeah, I can't wait. These next ones are going to be a blast. Hell, we might even just do both of them as a, you know, single episode maybe. I don't know.
3: I think so. I think with the kind of story that it tells, I think we should do both as one.
2: Yeah. yeah and then after that will be Fear of Victory, which is another Scarecrow episode. And Robin's going to be in that too. Yay. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Robin. But I think that is where we are going to put the cowl up in the cave for the evening. Craig, my friend, are there any last words you'd like to add on this beautiful belated birthday bash for the Dark Knight? um
3: nothing really my cat just knocked down something in my room I don't know what but which one just which cat uh Mordecai
2: I was gonna say it sounded like Mordecai
3: he I don't know what he did but something crashed in my room and he just went sprinting out of my room so I'm sure I have a mess to clean up here in a second
2: (sighs) that's like me walking into my room every day and wondering what Rue is messed up the next (laughs) she always gets into everything well you
3: forget you remember the last episode he was the saboteur he knocked me off (laughs) he (laughs) turned the computer off on me last time very true very true
2: but uh yeah i i I feel like this is a very fun episode um you know celebrating 83 years of batman i'm sure there's going to be many more to come um of course anyone take the time to listen to our episode we always appreciate it you can always catch the show on podbean or apple Podcasts or i think Uh, Google podcast as well yes but if you guys would like to interact with the show leave us an email or review you can happily leave a review on iTunes or even Podbean you can also email us at eternalnightpod at gmail.com feel free to follow us on social media uh, Twitter and Facebook just at tek underscore podcast All right, Craig where can people find you on the interwebs if they wish to follow you along or you know tell you how wrong you are about your Batman (laughs) (laughs) test
3: Uh, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, both at Craigie Omega, C-R-A-I-G-G-Y-O-M-E-G-A.
2: That's right, folks. You can follow Craig right there on Twitter and and Instagram, as well as our show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also follow me and tell me how wrong I am, because believe me, people love to do that. Uh, just uh, Facebook actually no not Facebook Twitter Vero and Instagram just at unfiltered U-N-P-H-I-L-T-E-R-E D-D-D 3D's not 5 and that is where we are signing off out of the Batcave for the night folks take it easy stay safe as always stay vigilant if we're going to play games Mm -hmm. I'm
0: going to Good cop, bad cop routine?
3: Not exactly.
0: Oh. Ah. Ah. Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. He can't feel the next. See? You wanted me. Here I am. didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Where's Dent? Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. Then why do you want to kill me? <laughs> want to kill you? What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. No, you. You complete me. You're garbage You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. But when they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. See, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. Dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you, when the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Where's Dent? You have all these rules, and you think they'll save you. He's in control. I have one rule. Oh, then that's the rule you'll have to break to know the truth. Which is? The only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight, you're gonna break your one rule. I'm considering it. You no, know, there's only minutes left. You're gonna have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. You know, for a while there, I thought you really were a dent. The way you threw yourself after her. Look at you go! Does Harvey know about you and his little bunny?
1: Where are we?
0: Killing is making a choice. Where are they? Choose between one life or the other. Your friend, the district attorney, or his blushing bride to be.
1: (laughs) You have nothing.
0: Nothing to threaten me with. Nothing to do with all of your strength. Don't worry. I'm gonna tell you where they are. Both of them. And that's the point. You'll have to choose. He's at 250 52nd Street, and she's uh, on Avenue X
2: at Sisu. Thank you for listening to The Eternal Night. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Media or DC Entertainment. All thoughts shared belong to those involved and not the companies they happen to work for or be talking about. Drop us an email at Pod at gmail.com or Follow us on Twitter at T-E-K underscore podcast. Thank you.